yo, yo, yo. Hello. <laughs> what up, Holmes? Hey, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Okay, good. Me too. I'm trying to figure stuff out here for a second. Okay. Okay. I think I got it now. Yeah, we got a lot of fucking ground to cover, dude. Let's not waste any fucking time, man. Let's just get right into it. I've got at least two hours of shit to talk about after we go through the episodes. <laughs> okay. This is going to be a four-hour episode, and that even that isn't enough to really cover everything. Well, we could always break it up into two if we need to. Yeah, okay. I don't have I don't have four hours probably, but I know I got some ideas about shit, man. I don't know how many theories you got. I got at least three. Um, I I, I think I got at least two, but you know okay. who knows? They could branch off into other areas as well. Yeah, there's a lot. It's yeah. My my mind is actually still reeling from what actually happened uh, Sunday. But <laughs> oh, me too, man. Me too. I, I'm, I, I've watched the end. Here, let's just get right, right ahead of ourselves. All right. Um, at least, at least four times, and every time it's just as interesting as the first time. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It just uh, it makes the mind real. It's like everything was fine. You know, it was it was a double episode. They showed episode or part 17 and 18 the same night you know everything was easy to follow about three quarters of the way into episode 17 and then everything went crazy (laughs) things fucking changed yes oh my god oh my god and then i'm in episode 18 and i'm like Cooper, you've only got 15 fucking minutes to wrap this all up. What the f- <laughs> you guys aren't even talking to each other. What the fuck, man? There is very little talking in episode 18, and there is a ton of talking in episode 17. Episode 17 was jam-packed with action and stuff. Right. It was everything that the casual viewer of Twin Peaks ever wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, in, in, I ad- agree. In, a, in addition, you know, if if Twin Peaks were just your average run-of-the-mill TV show that followed some sort of a, oh, I don't know, a, a, a path or a, or a plot line, this is the way it would have been at least three quarters yes. of the way into episode 17. And then everything, yes. all bets were off, pal. Oh, man, it... But... They, yeah, you, let's still it, loved it. Let's put it this way. Yes, episode 17 was like you were being spoon-fed all of this information, but then by the end of that episode, you're like, well, does it even mean anything anymore? Right, and then yes. you're also like, by the time you start getting into 18, you're like, wait, what about this, and what about this, and, and what was that about, and why was there this? <laughs> and uh, and all those things aren't addressed in episode 18, and I've got a whole list of those that I want because I right. got theories, man. I got theories everywhere. Right. So I've I've got your um you know your text message yesterday and about yeah. you know, making a list of uh, various things, and I guess we'll cover that once we once we finish Let's our. Jump into the- Okay. The recap, for lack of a better word. Right. Let's do um, that. Because then after that, there was a lot to talk about, too. So. Well, yeah, good point. All right. And we can do our questionnaire at the end. Okay. Or towards the end. All right. All right. Well, let's go ahead and play the music. Okay. All right. Awesome. Yes. Uh, 
I felt like I was falling after uh, episode 18, that's for sure. Yeah, no lie. <laughs> Dude, I, I went back and rewatched all 18 episodes. Wow. Of course I, yeah, of course I skipped through a lot of stuff where where well, I yeah. knew it what it was you know like the like the argument with lucy and and andy about the chair you know that's that's an easy one to just skip over you don't i remember that i don't yeah. have to see it again well that's but, true um, and and like but the, I, the whole episode with uh, norma and ed you could skip over because you pretty much knew exactly what was what happened there right and there were no right. clues to be had about the but uh, i went mm-hmm Go ahead. I went back and watched things like when uh, the beginning, I've watched the beginning of it again two or three times. And then, you yeah. know, things we, where Cooper's in the red room. And, uh-huh. and the, of course, when the giant is or the uh, fireman is, is uh, a part of things. And um, yeah, you, you definitely did you watch the beginning of it again? Yeah, I did. I did. Actually, I watched yeah, the that, uh, I watched the first four episodes fast forwarding through the unnecessary shit. So, yeah. Yeah really helpful to watch at the very beginning yeah uh and i'm sorry i i interrupted you we should get going and then yeah let's 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 kick this off man here we go all right okay all right twin peaks part 17 the past dictates the future all right very first scene at the mayfair hotel in buckhorn south dakota gordon is feeling ashamed that he was unable to shoot back when the diane tulpa attempted to kill him i couldn't do it i i couldn't do it Albert postulates that maybe Gordon has gone soft in his old age. Gordon responds, not where it counts, buddy. Gross. But <laughs> I know, it was like, a little weird. The first, time, the first time I watched it, I was like, that's gross, man. Lynch, <laughs> nobody wants to see a 70-year-old man talk about his erections. But then I was like, you know, he hasn't gone soft where it counts, which is as a, as a director and a filmmaker and an artist. He's ah. fucking at the top of his game. So, yes, he okay. hasn't gone soft where it counts, in my opinion. <laughs> right. So it wasn't just ne- wasn't necessarily a dick joke. All right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, to continue there, holding wine glasses, Gordon raises his glass and says, here's to the bureau. Okay. So then Gordon has an, an admission. He says, now listen to me. For 25 years, I've kept something from you, Albert. Before he disappeared, Major Briggs shared with me and Cooper his discovery of an entity, an extreme negative force called in olden times, Jow Day. Uh, over time, it has become Judy. Uh, horseshit. <laughs> that, that was the that, I, that was the most unbelievable thing in the whole series. I was like, <laughs> there's no way people would start calling it Judy. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Anyway, Major Briggs, Cooper, and I put together a plan that could lead us to Judy. And then something yeah. happened to Major Briggs, and something happened to Cooper. Philip Jeffries, who doesn't really exist anymore at least not in the normal sense, told me a long time ago he was on to this entity, and he disappeared. Now, the last thing Cooper uh, said to me was, if I disappear like the others, do everything you can to find me. I'm trying to kill two birds with one stone. Hmm, where have we heard that before? And yeah. now, And now this thing of two Coopers. And recently... A paid informant named Raymond Rose sent a cryptic message indicating that the Cooper we met at prison is looking for coordinates. Coordinates for a certain Major Briggs. This plan, Albert, I couldn't tell you about, and I'm sorry. 
Yeah, I thought lots of interesting stuff there. First, the Major Briggs, who we kind of thought of as an army guy, is actually working well, Air Force, with, yeah, with or Air Force, yeah, is working with the um, with actually working with the FBI, uh, trying. You know, of course, we knew he was getting messages from outer space that were gar- you know, garbage, basically, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to say. But until the 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 Cooper Cooper showed up. Um, and the owls and yeah, yeah, the owls are not what they seem. Right. Yeah. So I just thought, okay, that's interesting. So major Briggs has been working with the FBI for a long time. Um, and, and that bad Cooper is looking for the coordinates from major Briggs. Um, yeah. So that, that helped kind of, when I saw that the second time and started thinking about it, it helped put in together in my head. Okay. How's major Briggs involved in this? What is, what is, what is this all about? Right. Well, and it, it helps you make sense of that. Yeah. Okay. I hear you. So, uh, so anyway, after Gordon gives this uh, admission that he had kept all this information from Albert, Albert says that he understands. So Gordon says, "I know you understand, Albert. Yet I'm still sorry, and I don't also, know." Also, uh-huh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Also, I I didn't believe for a second that Cole uh, would keep secrets from Albert. Why? Yeah, I'm not sure. I fully understand that, that. yeah yeah, yeah. didn't make okay. sense to me but right. okay anyway okay so he says and i don't know if this plan is unfolding properly because we should have heard by now from our dear dale cooper all right yes. so anyway so just then the phone rings cole answers it and puts it on speaker uh agent headley in dougie's empty hospital room informs him that they found him we found Douglas Jones, but we don't know where he is. So Albert says, has my watch stopped or is that one of the Marx Brothers? <laughs> ha ha, Albert's so funny. Anyway, Cole says, what the hell does that mean, Headley? Headley says, the bed is empty. My team is sending everything to you as we speak. Director Cole, we got it all. The whole story. <laughs> and, oh, no, you didn't. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. So just then, Bushnell Mullins enters the hospital room and asks, is that Gordon Cole on the phone? And Gordon says, yes, it is. So Mullins says, I have a message for him, a message from Dougie. I am headed for Sheriff Truman's. It is 2.53 in Las Vegas, and that adds up to a 10, the number of completion. That's all he wrote. So Gordon asks Mullins his name and then and then says, "Thank you, Mr. Mullins. Thank you very much." And that makes two of us. I'm not sure yeah, what he's Mullins says that. he's his bo- Dougie's boss, and right. that's what the that makes two of us is. Ah, okay, okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. So anyway, Gordon hangs up the phone and exclaims, "Dougie is Cooper! How the <laughs> hell is this?" <laughs> so at that very moment. Information starts flowing in. Tammy and Albert relay the information to Cole as it comes in through their computers. Uh, Tammy says, They blew up Dougie's car. Then a notorious hitman tried to shoot him outside his place of business. And Albert says, He's been spotted in the company of two organized crime figures. Tammy says, He electrocuted himself by sticking a fork in a wall socket. And Albert says, That's strange even for Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) To which Gordon says, A blue rose case most definitely. So Tammy then relays, he was hospitalized in a coma until earlier this afternoon. Gordon then says, pack it up. I know where he's going. All right. So uh, one thing, too, that I noticed rewatching some of the old episodes that I hadn't noticed when I was watching him. You know, I think I got so hung up on watching Dougie uh be stupid and just getting frustrated about that that I didn't notice 
a lot of things that were going on in those scenes. But and one thing was uh, uh, they play the same music during those almost every Dougie scene. If there's music, it's the music by this guy named Johnny Jewell who is in the the Chromatics, and it's kind of a, almost like a light, breezy, jazzy kind of song. Called I think it's called Windswept. But I was just like, wow, I didn't realize that song. And I love it's a great song. I really like it. And I was like, I didn't realize they played that every fucking time Ducky's <laughs> on screen, just about. It's the song for suburban America. It is. It is. It's very <laughs> relaxing and laid back and mm-hmm. non, uh, non-edgy. Exactly. Yeah. It definitely fits the uh, Rancho Rosa housing development. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Shall we move on? Yeah. So they cut to, in the jail of the Twin Peaks Police Department, Chad waits for the drunk to fall asleep. We don't know why. <laughs> then they cut to, Doppelganger travels down a dark road in his truck. Then they cut to, Nato chatters in her cot in the jail. James Hurley says, what the hell is that? Freddie says, no clue, mate. <laughs> then they cut to, Ben Horn gets a call from the Jackson Hole, Wyoming Police Department. About finding because, his brother Jerry naked. Because we gotta wrap up the Jerry and Ben story somehow. <laughs> right. As if we really cared about <laughs> yeah, what was going on. Any there. of that. Yeah. That's on but one of I, that's on one of my one of the list items. That that <laughs> uh one thing I did notice rewatching again the beginning of it is mm-hmm. at the beginning, uh Jerry says that he smoked some new strain of marijuana and he's really high. Yeah. So I guess you know, that's the reason he acts like this through the whole series is he's just fucking higher than he's ever been before. I guess so. Yeah. And I guess that's a plot line. <laughs> Maybe. I think he, he might possibly get the award for the most changed from the original series. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he totally looks different. You can't hardly even recognize that he's the guy. Right. Uh, that played him in the original. Exactly. He was like kind of a yuppie playboy type. In the original series, and now he's like some weird stoner mountain man dude. But I guess right, yeah, you old, know, old hip, like an old hippie. Exactly. You know? of course, he's I like can... an old hippie. When in the eighties, he was like almost like a yuppie. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's yeah. A hip, like I said, a yuppie playboy. That's all he was. So anyway, yeah. we'll continue. And, and one other quick thing too. All right. Um, the uh, the drunk in this jail cell with the with all the blood and gunk and uh-huh. crap it right. gotta be billy yeah I, you know i when I, <laughs> I went back and listened to some of those conversations in the bang bang bar at the end of every episode uh-huh. it was like this guy in the jail cell's gotta be billy that's gotta be the the culmination of what those discussions are about again they 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 are are kind of pointless they don't really mean anything but well, i think that's where that plot line's heading that the guy in the jail cell is the Billy they're talking about. Maybe. Of course, I have a theory about that. I don't even know if Billy really exists. Well, well yeah, we'll get to that, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, next scene, Doppelganger has been traveling all night along crackling power lines and Douglas fir trees to reach the place where the real coordinates are leading him. They lead him to 253 yards due east of Jackrabbit Palace, next to a sycamore sapling and a pool of liquid gold. Or, or or a gold liquid, one of the two. Or whatever it is. <laughs> whatever man. the fuck that shit is. So, um, anyway, just for the, for the sake of argument, I'm just saying that that's the entrance to the White Lodge right there. Um, would you agree with that? That seems to be the, the residential place of the giant, you know, the big 
wooden room with the uh, wooden tree stump chairs. Well, okay. I don't I don't disagree with that. I'm not sure if it, you know, it's definitely the vortex that takes you to where the the giant the fireman is. Right. And the amazing movie theater. But anyway, yeah. all right. <laughs> uh, okay. After a few moments, a vortex opens up and Doppelganger disappears. He has been transported to the ornate black-and-white movie theater we have seen before with two dark metal bell-shaped Jeffries devices, for lack of a better term. So a giant-sized Major Briggs head floats just to the right of the movie screen stage. Doppelganger has been trapped in a cage or it looks like a distorted version of his face is trapped in a cage. So, the close-up of the movie screen displays a black-and-white image of the gold pool area. The fireman-slash-giant is there observing. A black-and-white image of the Palmer house is now displayed on the screen. The fireman waves his hand from right to left. The screen changes to an image of trees and grass and a road. Now, just to the left of the screen, a large room lights up. Electric rumbling is heard. The room appears to be filled with what looks like dozens, maybe hundreds, of the electric bell devices. Yeah, the Jeffries devices. Right, yeah, I the like Jeffries that, devices. That, that term. Yeah, yeah, apparently it's a storehouse for dead people who aren't dead, or I don't know what the fuck it's supposed to, what what those things are supposed to hold i i have a theory about all of those jeffrey's devices in there uh but we'll get to that later i guess okay, okay okay so the doppelganger cage begins moving towards a brass inverted horn shaped object the same one that deposited the laura palmer globe onto the earth in a previous episode the cage enters the bell of the horn. A tube attached to it begins to slowly turn toward the movie screen and then deposits an image of Doppelganger in the scene. So, cut to the actual Doppelganger, standing in full color on a road facing a small stand of trees. Doppelganger turns around and sees the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Station. He speaks. What is this? He begins to walk toward it. Justin Andy is unloading a picnic basket and recognizes a, him as Agent a Cooper. A picnic basket. A picnic basket. <laughs> and so Andy recognizes him as Agent Cooper. Agent Cooper, is that you? Agent <laughs> Cooper, it is you. We were just talking about you. Hello, Andy. That's a, that's a pretty good Andy. That's close. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, that's close. So, back inside the jail, NATO is chattering loudly. James and Freddy are distracted by her. James says, what's going on, Freddy? I think she's trying to say something. Eventually, the drunk passes out. At that point, Chad pulls a hidden key out of his boot heel. Back outside, Andy tells Bad Cooper, everyone's going to be so happy to see you. Doppelganger says... I would like to see them, too. Andy then says, Come on in. I was just taking this picnic basket. We'll make a fresh pot of coffee. So they enter the station, and Andy says, Lucy, look who's here. Lucy seems surprised. Agent Cooper! Hello, Lucy. We were just talking about you. So I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Frank Truman enters. Andy introduces them. Bad Cooper seems confused. Sheriff Truman? Sheriff Truman says, I'm Frank Truman, Harry's brother. They shake hands. Truman invites him into his office. Andy stares as if in a daze, then has a memory of himself pulling and pushing Lucy into position in the hallway and then running. Back in the cell area, Chad has got his cell unlocked and sneaks through a back door to a locker room area of the station. 
Back in Frank's office, Andy brings Bad Cooper a seat, then asks, Would you like a cup of coffee? Bad Cooper says, No thanks. I'm all right. Big red flag right there. I think Andy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andy was tipped off right at that very second or was already suspecting something was up. Right, yeah. So then ding, Andy... Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> right. So at that point, Andy still playing, Okay, I'm going to tell Hawk you're here and runs out. Okay, so Truman speaks to him. He says, Cooper? No, he goes, Cooper. <laughs> Cooper. <laughs> Bad Cooper goes, in the flesh. So uh, <laughs> back in the locker room... Chad is loading a gun. Then in the hallway, Andy runs by Lucy and says, Very important! Very important! So Chad is sneaking back into the cell area. The drunk is awake, rips his bandages off, and is poking at his facial wounds. Andy enters and is surprised by Chad. Chad says, Hey, if it isn't the great, good cop, Deputy Andy, come to save the day. You're such a pussy, Andy. Freddy, in his cell seeing all this, makes his green-gloved hand into a fist. Chad continues, See how you like this? Right between the... Right then, Freddy punches his cell door. It flies open and smacks Chad hard. He is instantly knocked unconscious. Andy <laughs> Andy handcuffs him to one of the bars of a cell. I loved when Freddy punches the door and knocks Chad out, and then they cut to James looking at, at uh, Freddy, and he's got the biggest smile on his face. It was That's so right. cute. I was like, oh, bromance. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that was, that was beautiful. It was a very satisfying scene. Yes, and you knew it was coming. You knew that's what uh, Freddie was going to do, but right. but it was still great when it happened. And then that that shot of James's face all lit up was just really cute. I thought. <laughs> I'm glad you <laughs> remembered that. Okay, cool. Okay, next scene. The telephone rings in the reception area of the station. Lucy answers. Twin Peaks Sheriff Station. This is Lucy speaking. Then she goes. Now, that is a pretty horrible Lucy, but... Yeah, I know. I, I, I can't get my voice that high. I would, right. I'd need to hit about three octaves higher. So she yells, You'd have to who? hit yourself hitting the balls. Exactly, yeah. right. So back in his office, Frank asks a question. What brings you back to Twin Peaks, Agent Cooper? Cooper says, unfinished business. Ooh. Yeah. Just then, Truman's phone buzzes. Lucy's voice says, Sheriff Truman? There's a phone call for you on line two. The blinking light. Now, does she when she transfers calls, does she usually transfer it on line one? Oh, I don't even know. I, that's I don't an know. Interesting point. That, that's the only point because I I have a note here. Do they have a blinking light code? Line one, everything's normal. Line two, emergency. I I don't hmm. know. It's just I I might have to go back and watch again to see how which line she usually transfers phone calls to. Anyway. That's an interesting thought. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the homework for our listeners. <laughs> uh, right, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Truman seems to be annoyed by this. He says, take a message, please, Lucy. And then Lucy says, it's a very important phone call, Sheriff. So he picks up the phone. Turns out Good Cooper's at the other end, tells him, Harry, it's Coop, Federal Bureau of Investigation, Special Agent Dale Cooper. Truman says, this is Frank Truman, Harry's brother. Where are you? Cooper says, we're just entering Twin Peaks city limits. Is the coffee on? Yeah, Yeah, there you go. (laughs) 
Oh, I love that. This is the coffee on. Right. Coop is back, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> so at that moment, while he's still on the phone, Truman is staring at Bad Cooper during this phone conversation. Bad Cooper, knowing the jig is up, pulls his gun just as Truman is drawing his. A shot is heard. Frank's hat wobbles. <laughs> Bad Cooper then <laughs> falls to the floor. Lucy is seen behind him, gun in hand. Woo-hoo! Sorry, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about wouldn't it be great if Lucy got her redemption? Lucy <laughs> freaking gets her redemption. She did. She finally did. <laughs> yep, yes. indeed. Everything changed. So, and I was just thinking, uh-huh, right? too, when you're, you know, I didn't think about this until just now, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Cooper, bad Cooper, doppelganger Cooper, kind of knows, he knows a lot of things. He know, you know, when he's in the jail, he's like, food is coming now, and he, he can see the right. future, kind of. Yes, I think but so. Pa- but maybe he can't see Lucy because she's so fucking dumb that <laughs> she's it's in- impossible to read her thoughts. <laughs> she's she's inscrutable. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, once because they have that son, but no, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm funny, yes. Oh, one thing, one thing I noticed that while uh, Bad Cooper was sitting in the chair talking to Sheriff Truman. His leather coat was opened a little bit, and you could see the butt of his gun sticking out. You know, so obviously mm-hmm. uh, Sheriff Truman had to have seen the butt of that gun sticking up. So that's probably why he was kind of such a quick draw at the moment that Cooper right. pulled his gun. Even though I don't think he actually got a shot off. Right, I don't think so either. Right. Um, I thought it was funny too when his hat kind of. It went wobbles a little from the like like uh like Bad Cooper's bullet just missed his hat or something right just gra- grazed his hat to make it go yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was pretty funny um where were we she shot Cooper yeah she just shot Cooper and uh, Good Cooper on the phone asked what was that so Frank is surprised by Lucy's actions and he yells Lucy so. Cut back to Andy in the cell area tells James and Freddie and Nato, I've got to get you upstairs. So back in Frank's office, Frank says to Cooper, I think this one's dead, Agent Cooper. Cooper says, don't touch him. Stay away from that body. (laughs) Good advice. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So then Freddie, Nato, led by Andy and James, enter the sheriff's office and see the doppelganger laying on the floor. Lucy excitedly says, Andy! I understand cellular phones now. (laughs) And Lucy loses her redemption. (laughs) (laughs) Right. She's back to stupid. Right. (laughs) So then right at that minute, Hawk runs in and says, what the hell? Truman says, Agent Cooper said, don't touch that body. Hawk says, but that is Agent Cooper. Truman says, Coopers. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. He should have known. Yeah. But then Truman says, no, it's not. (laughs) <laughs> so Andy runs out of the room. Just then, the lights go dim, and three woodsmen appear over the body of the doppelganger, doing their woodsman blood rubbing. Everyone is shocked <laughs> by the spectacle. <laughs> woodsman blood rubbing. That sounds like a David Lynch album right there. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's a great name for a band, too. <laughs> it is, yeah. Yes, there you go. So then, just then, Good Cooper arrives with the Mitchum brothers in tow. He Here runs in. I come to save the day. <laughs> exactly. He's Dudley Do-Right all of a sudden. So he runs <laughs> in and says, 
Andy, where is he? Andy says, in here. Cooper runs into the sheriff's office to see the woodsman rubbing the blood and causing the bob globe to come out. It rises to the ceiling and then begins attacking Cooper, knocking him down. Freddy, seeing this, steps up and yells, Oi! Cooper yells, Are you Freddy? Freddy says, That's right, and this is me destiny. (laughs) The Bob Anger Ball attacks Freddy. Knocking him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, indeed he does. It's just funny. I love it. Okay. So uh, the Bob Anger Ball attacks Freddy, knocking him down and bloodying his nose. Freddy balls up his green fist and punches the Bob Globe and it flies back. It comes at him again, knocking him down. He gets up. Punches the globe again. It lands on the floor. He punches it again and drives it into the floor. It bursts into flames. It rises up, glowing red and angry. As if he sent it directly down to hell. Knocking Freddy down again, Cooper yells, Freddy, get up! Freddy gets up. It comes at him saying, Catch you with my death bag. Oh, I love that line. (laughs) Yes. Such a great line. Exactly, yes. It attacks. Freddy rears back and punches the Bob Globe with all his might, and it shatters into many black pieces and disappears into the ceiling. Yeah. As (laughs) if we didn't know he was going to beat it. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole, that was his destiny. It's the whole reason for him, him being there. He says... Did I do it? Cooper says, you did it, Freddy. (laughs) (laughs) Cooper then places the green owl ring on Doppelganger's finger, and Doppelganger slowly fades away. Rodney Mitchum says, one for the grandkids. (laughs) Oh, because, yeah, they came in with Cooper. That's right. So at that moment, the green ring is seen clattering to the floor of the Black Lodge. Cooper then asks Truman, Frank, Do you have the room key to the Great Northern Hotel, 315? Truman says, what? How did you know about... Cooper cuts him off. Major Briggs told me Sheriff Truman would have it. Truman hands him the key. Just then, Gordon, Albert, and Tammy pull up to the sheriff's station. Cooper looks at NATO with concern and curiosity. Then, an image of Cooper's face is seen superimposed upon the rest of this scene. All right. Wow. Um, So one thing I thought was interesting, and, uh, you know, when Cooper tells Truman that Briggs told him that he would have the room key, Mm -hmm. I was like, there are people in this universe that see the big picture and see the future somehow, Um, like Briggs. You know, Andy certainly knows the future after his visit with the fireman. Yeah. Maybe it's everyone who's talked to the fireman. Briggs, Andy, even Freddie. Freddie doesn't seem, when he says, this is me, Destiny, he doesn't seem surprised. You know, he's certain of that. And whether he's just, you know, certain of it because of what's going on or certain of it because the fireman told him more than he told us about what he was going to do at, at his uh, climax, for lack of a better word. Um but I just think it's interesting that in this universe of all this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, there are certain people that kind of see the future, know the future, or at least see the big picture somehow. Yeah, or at least a a, a section of the big picture as, right, it, as yeah. it applies to them in some right. way. Yeah. In some mm-hmm. way. Right. And then 
you know, you just mentioned then at at this point in the in the episode, Cooper's face is begins to be superimposed over all the action. Yes. And I, when you when that happened and then it just kept being there. Yeah, I was like, it was just so unique and different and strange. And you're like, I don't think any other TV show ever mm-hmm. would would do that. I can't imagine seeing that in any other TV show. And it goes on a good, you know, five, ten minutes. And and I was just like, that's really, it, you know, Twin Peaks is unlike anything else right. you've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I think the face is superimposed over the action until uh, the lights go dim later. Uh, pretty much until Well, actually, they- to the end of the scene where, okay, yeah, where they get to... The boiler room. I think that's yeah, when it, it right. stops. When he when he puts the key in the in the door of the boiler room, that's when it stops. Yeah, yeah. I have a note about that in here when it actually yes. stops. So anyway, me too. Um, okay, <laughs> good, good, excellent. So he's looking so, at Diane oh, or at all right. So uh, right, Asian eyeless woman. Yes. So Cooper looks at NATO with concern and curiosity. Then an image of Cooper's face is seen superimposed upon the rest of the scene. Bobby Briggs enters, saying, "What's going on around here?" Bradley Mitchum says, took the fucking words right out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Then uh, Cooper speaks. Major Garland Briggs, Bobby, your father was well aware of what's going on here today. And Bobby says, what is going on? Cooper tells him. Many years ago, information your father gathered brought him together with director Gordon Cole, who is here right on time. Gordon. Gordon walks in. Coop. And that's what brought us here today. Now there are some things that will change. The past dictates the future. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, that's a major thing. Mm-hmm. So just then, Candy and the Floozies enter bearing baskets. It's a good thing we made so many sandwiches, he says. <sighs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so then Cooper says, Frank, give my regards to Harry. Frank says, sure will. At that moment, NATO starts chattering and is led by James and Freddie to Cooper. She holds out her hand to him. Cooper raises his hand to hers. Her face turns red and appears to burn off, revealing inside the red curtains and zigzag floor of the Black Lodge. Then she appears to be in the Black Lodge. Then it is just the remnants of the burned head with a shiny black center. Then the face of Diane appears in the black center. Then Diane appears whole back in the sheriff's office. Cooper smiles at her. Diane! I'm in the sheriff's office. <laughs> by the way, you- uh, by the way, NATO is O Diane backwards after all. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so, interesting. So everyone is amazed by her transformation. She and now we predicted that uh, yes. NATO would be Diane. That's right. We did. Yeah. She, she now has a red wig on. Cooper. And Diane kiss for a long time. Then she speaks. Cooper, the one and only. He asks, do you remember everything? She replies, yes. Then they turn and look at the clock on the wall. It is clicking between 2.52 and 2.53. As if time has stopped. Mm -hmm. The superimposed face of Cooper that has been faintly visible during this whole scene, speaks in a deep, distorted voice. We live inside a dream. (laughs) Then regular Cooper says, I hope I see all of you again. 
every one of you. Then the lights start dimming and a whooshing sound is heard. Cooper yells, Gordon! Gordon yells, Coop! <laughs> Ooh. Then, immediately, Cooper, Diane, and Gordon are now walking in a dark space together. In a room that appears to be in the boiler room of the Great Northern Hotel, the humming and ringing sound is loud in there. There appears to be some of the dark metal bell-shaped machines in there as well, in the background. Panning over a door... Uh, I'm not sure I noticed that. Yeah, the, it, they were similarly shaped, except maybe a little skinnier. So I wasn't sure if mm. they were the bell objects or not. I'll have to rewatch that. Maybe you should as well. Mm, yeah. So um, the bell-shaped machines and panning over, a door is seen. The superimposed close-up image of Cooper is still on the screen, but then slowly fades away. Cooper, Diane, and Gordon come around the corner and up to the door. Cooper walks up to the door and places the room 315 hotel key in the lock and turns it. He turns to Gordon and Diane and says, Now listen, I'm going through this door. Don't try to follow me, either of you. He hugs Diane, shakes Gordon's hand. Gordon says, Be thinking of you, Coop. He opens the door and says, See you at the curtain call. <laughs> right. He walks through and closes the door and then walks into the darkness. The okay, one this is Okay, go ahead. So this was something that I ended up spending about 2 hours check trying to figure out. So, up until the time he opens the door, from the time he's Dougie in the hospital until he opens the door and walks through it in the boiler room. Uh-huh. He has on his black suit with no pin on his lapel. Once he walks through the door, uh-huh. he has a pin on his lapel for the rest of the episode. And if you look uh-huh. at the scene with uh, Laura Palmer at the beginning of the series where she says, I'll see you in 25 years, uh-huh. he's got a pin on his lapel there. So when he walks through the door, he changes from cooper that was Dougie to the cooper that was in the black lodge wow okay yeah yeah oh. i at first i thought that that the pin was a brand new thing um that that hadn't been because I, for some reason i noticed it right away when it was on his lapel and mm-hmm. and i thought oh this is a you know this is a different something's different what does this mean but then i started watching in a, a, a old pieces and it's like when he's young cooper in the black lodge and when he's old cooper in the black lodge he's got the pin on his lapel it's like a little badge i don't know if it's a fbi insignia or what it is Mm -hmm. but it's not on he doesn't have it on when he's dougie becoming cooper again ah okay really interesting i think yeah there i there were some people online on youtube I, i stumbled across and someone had mentioned something about the pin being there and then or not being there and then all of a sudden being there so yeah uh, yeah very cool on your part to have noticed that so that's well that's... i yeah i thought it was going to be i thought it was going to be a much bigger clue than it turned out to be but definitely one thing it signifies is that the the, the cooper that was dougie becomes the cooper that was in the black lodge even you know what i mean even though they are the same person right but it's a different time frame yeah yeah there's yeah. something different yeah yeah time yeah. time was not sequential from when he was outside the door to when he was inside the door. Inside the door, correct, okay. yeah. I get it, I get it. Walking right. through that door changed something. Yes, so um, as he, after he walks, into the door, walks through the door, he's then seen walking in the darkness. The one-armed man appears and says, Through the darkness of future past, 
The magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds. Fire, walk with me. I love that poem. <laughs> yeah, that is. And boy, it's like uh, the guy who plays the one-armed man. What is his name? Oh, I can't remember the actor's name. Uh-huh. Um, but it's like he sells that fucking poem in that scene. I mean, he's read it. You know, he's recited that poem before in in the Fire Walk with Me movie. Right. Um. But, but man, he really sells it in this one and makes it really haunting and creepy and <laughs> yes and cool and then and it's like i've heard it before but i was really thinking about what it says because it definitely Mm -hmm. says in the darkness of future past through the darkness yeah Uh uh-huh yeah through the through the darkness of future past and then also i thought that they said one chance out like you've only got one chance right out (laughs) you took the words right out of my mouth yeah but he actually says one chance Yes, C H A N T S, chant yeah. as in chanting, right? Yeah. So, so I don't, I still don't know what it means, but it's just a really cool. <laughs> I loved that moment. I was like, oh man, right? That, it, he just sold that scene, right? It's, successfully, it's like the line "Fire walk with me" is the chant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. wild. <laughs> okay. I I just got chills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at the after he says that, electricity crackles. They're seen then walking through a forest hallway to a familiar flight of stairs up to a door that opens out into the parking lot of a 60s-era motor court. We know where they are. Yes. They're uh, above the convenience store, for lack of a better term. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. They walk to the room where the Jeffries device is. It clanks and hums and smokes. Looks like a giant teapot. (laughs) A giant tea kettle. Yes. I wonder how Bowie would feel about being uh, uh, the evolution of Jeffries being a giant tea kettle. I don't know. (laughs) Well, he he was in Tin Machine after all. Oh! Oh! Did you just think of that, or did you have that in in your chamber ready to fire? That's I, awesome. I, I think I've I think I've had that one in my uh, uh, quiver of arrows for a while, oh, just oh, waiting man. for the perfect moment. Right? Oh, that was the perfect moment. Of course, there's also that line in uh, Space Oddity where he's talking about floating in his tin can. Yes. So, wow. I'm sh- now I like the tea kettle thing. <laughs> right. I did before. Now I kind of like it. Yeah, so, you know, I'm sure they were saying, well, we don't have David Bowie anymore. How do we tie it into David Bowie? Well, we'll put him in a tin can. Yes. Wow, Bob, wow. (laughs) Think about that, man. Sitting in my tin can far above the world, Uh planet Earth is blue, and there's nothing I can do. Whoa. Wow. (laughs) Oh, I got chills again. That's crazy. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Nothing better than Lodger with chills. <laughs> so, anyway, so as uh, Cooper meets up with the Philip Jeffries, or what's left of him, Cooper speaks to it. Philip? Jeffries says, please be specific. Cooper says, the date. 
February 23rd, 1989. Jeffrey says, I'll find it for you. It's slippery in here. <laughs> I had to laugh out loud. It's slippery in here. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, what would you do if you'd be cooped up in a tin can for so long? <laughs> It'd be slippery in there. Yes. <laughs> so he continues, it's good to see you again, Cooper. Say hello to Gordon if you see him. He'll remember the unofficial version. Yeah, what does that mean? I don't know. Has yeah, he, I don't either. Is 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 him as a inside of a tin can the official version? And what he was when he was David Bowie, he was the unofficial version. I don't know, Ooh, or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, he says he'll remember the unofficial version. This is where you'll find Judy. Mm. Jeffries continues. There may an be overwhelming evil or an overwhelming negative something. Right. Yeah. Entity. Entity. Yeah. Yes. Then he says there may be something. Did you ask me this? Which is kind of an odd question. Jeffries then creates the owl symbol out of smoke, a diamond shaped with two wings. This transformed into two diamond shapes, one on top of the other. This then transforms into a figure eight, or the symbol for infinity, with a with yes. a with a small ball rolling around inside of it, as if time were an infinite loop. Ooh, the the figure then rotates as if like a key turning. Jeffrey speaks. There it is. You can go in now. Cooper, remember. Then the one-armed man in his big scene says with great fervor, Electricity. (laughs) (laughs) No, I loved it, though. I just loved that. Yes. So Cooper and the one-armed man now flicker and oscillate. Cooper closes his eyes, then cut to a black and white flashback. F- now, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you. Did uh-huh. the did the Philip Jeffries at some point in that say this is where you'll find Judy? I have that in my notes, but I yes don't... yes he did say okay. that right after he said he'll remember the unofficial version when he was referring to Gordon. And he said this is where you'll find Judy, and then he shows the figure eight, the infinity symbol. Uh, yes, with a, a little ball floating around it, mm-hmm. kind of rolling around the bottom of it, as if it were uh, Earth on a on a uh, oh. uh, orbit of some kind or something. Yeah, hmm, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's cool. So then we cut to a black and white flashback, or what we think is a flashback, but really it's Cooper transported back in time where a fan is whirling. It's the Palmer house. A motorcycle is revving. A young James Hurley pulls up to the curb. A young Laura Palmer runs out to greet him. She hops on the back, and they speed off with a glaring Leland looking out from an upstairs window. Oh, that creepy look, man. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, obviously this is a scene from Fire Walk With Me, or so it was recycled. So um, the night of Lara's death, or so we think. Right, this is where you'll find Judy. All right, so, oh, well, hmm. So um, James and Lara stop somewhere on a forest road. Cooper materializes a few yards away, looking on from a distance. James and Lara talk. He says, what's wrong with you? Uh, And she says, there's no place left to go. Say what you want. Well, and we've seen this scene before, and it's just a weird scene. 
Right. He he's telling her that he loves her and he's kissing her, and she tells him. Uh, she says, "I do love you, James. Let's get lost together." They kiss. And she says, shit, what? He might try to kill you. So at that point, she appears to see Cooper and screams. James asks, what's wrong? What? Which, of course, in the original, she didn't see Cooper. No. As far as we knew. No. But it's really amazing how that fit right in that moment. Oh, yeah. It fit perfectly. Yeah. Uh, Because we, we were wondering, you know, way back when, 25 years ago, what the hell is she screaming about? What's back there? Right. Is Bob back there? What? What? Is it yeah. Leland? You know, uh, is she just crazy? Which yes, she she's crazy, and I think high too. But uh-huh. yeah, the, I just thought that was really cool how how they how they did that. Yeah, that and was, it was um, brilliant. Well, anyway, keep going. Okay, so she screams, and then she says, "If he finds out," and he says, "Laura, what's the matter? Bobby killed a guy." He says, "What are you talking about? Bobby didn't kill anybody." And she says, "Do you want to see?" And he says, "See what?" And she says, "Right." Open your eyes, James. (laughs) You don't even know me. There are things about me. Even Donna doesn't know me. Your Laura disappeared. It's just me now. So he says, Laura, she counters, what about this, James? She gives him the finger. He slaps her hand and begins kissing her. She just stares a blank stare at him, emotionless. (sighs) I think you want to take me home now, she says. As they are driving back near the traffic light, she falls off or jumps off the bike. He yells, Laura! She screams, don't! Just don't! Oh, I love you, James. Crying, she runs off into the woods. He takes off at top speed. I, I, we've talked a couple of times about how amazing Cheryl Lee is in oh, in yeah. Firewalk with me. and She is. She's so good. The, I mean, the thing where she goes from screaming to slutty to sexy mm-hmm. to scared to un- completely cold and uncaring, just boom, boom, boom. You know, you don't see, you don't see that. And it reminds me of that scene in um, Mulholland Drive where mm-hmm. uh, N- uh, Naomi Watts has a scene where she's auditioning for something and, and she kind of does the same thing. Oh. And it's like, uh. it's like really like, it's, you know, it it's my, both of those scenes that when I think of them, well, especially the scene where her and Bobby are in the woods and Bobby shoots the drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Her acting is so good in oh, those yeah. scenes. It's, and you don't, it, actresses don't get a chance to do scenes like that very often. And, and when these two actresses did, man, they nail it. Right. Cheryl Lee's an amazing actress. And oh. Fire Walk With Me is a great movie. You know, when I first saw it, I was I was shocked and disappointed by it. But that was just my young, dumb self. The, yeah. You know, the most recent viewing I had, I'm like, wow, this is great. This this is an amazing movie. And Cheryl Lee's an amazing actress. And it's good that this that movie is part of the Twin Peaks universe. I mean, it, it it means a lot to everything that, you know, came before and everything that came after. Oh yeah. If you're if you haven't watched this series and and if you haven't, stop listening, doesn't go watch it. But if <laughs> if <laughs> right. you if you uh if you're gonna watch this series, this third season, you've gotta watch the movie first. It agreed. It, it helps you understand so much. Okay. She just got ran into the woods. Yeah. She runs off into the woods He takes off at top speed on his motorcycle. Then she's left alone walking in the dark, walking toward where Jacques Renault, Leo Johnson, and Ronette Pulaski are waiting for her. But she never meets with them. Cooper is standing in her way. She asks, Who are you? Do I know you? Wait, I've seen you in a dream. In a dream. 
He reaches out his hand to her. She walks up and takes it. Then the scene cuts to her body wrapped in plastic, laying on the lakeshore. It flickers and then disappears as if it never happened. So another thing was, you know, like when the body wrapped in plastic disappears from the scene, mm-hmm. the special effects aren't that great. No. But, but, and, and there's been several things that have happened in the Red Room in different places where the effects have been eh, not, not so great. Um, right. But the when cu- she yeah. is mm-hmm. the young Laura in the woods with Cooper, yeah. and, you, and you know they had to – that's not something that they had on film. They had to film those scenes. Right. And right. somehow they transformed her through makeup and maybe CGI and I don't know what all mm-hmm. to be young Laura again, and she fucking looks like young Laura. Right. I mean, the, gra- granted they have a you know kind of a long, long-haired wig on her – and yeah, and made up, and of course the lighting is very subdued. But sure, you know, and it's in black and white. Yeah, but and it's a it, black and white. It's it's fairly seamless, and you believe yeah. that it is a young Laura being um, holding hands with you know a twenty five year older Cooper. Yeah, I I totally bought it. I mm-hmm. you know for a second I'm like, did they superimpose her young face? So, I mean, I was like, how did they do this? It was so good that I was like, I don't care about all the other special effects. Right. This one scene had to be perfect and work, and you had to believe she was long, young Laura, and you did. Yeah, yeah, it it was amazing. So I forgive all the other bad special <laughs> effects. They spent the money where it counted. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so after the image we see of uh, Lara's body wrapped in plastic, flickering and disappearing from the uh, lake shore, we cut back to Laura takes Cooper's hand, and everything is in color now. She asks him, "Where are we going?" And he says, "We're going home." Then they cut to an image of Josie Packard doing her makeup 25 years ago, humming to herself. Pete Martell is there, fishing pole in hand. He tells Catherine that he is going fishing. He walks along a path to the fishing pier and casts his line. As we know from the original series, he never got a chance to cast his line because he found the body of Laura. But in, in this version of reality, there is no body to find. Laura has been saved. Yes, she was saved. So we cut to the Palmer house. A horrible moaning is heard in another room. It is, it turns out to be Sarah Palmer. She comes in the room, picks up the, picks up the picture of Laura, puts it on the floor and begins stabbing it with a butcher knife. At this point, I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Is this really Sarah Palmer? thinking that Laura has just run away, never to be seen, and she's angry? Or is this the creature that is, you know, masquerading as Sarah Palmer, angry? Yes, or angry that Laura has escaped somehow. That's a really good, you know, damn it, now I gotta go rewatch that scene, because I assumed it was in... Uh, the timeline that that most of this show this series this season has been in the 2017 timeline for lack of a better term uh-huh. because we've seen that same shot of Sarah Palmer's house several yeah. times in this timeline right in the series and so in your mind you assume it's it's 2017 and you're and so I would love to – I need to look at it again because if she has the big screen TV and you can see it, then you know it's the 
2017 timeline. A good but point. I couldn't... That's a good point. Of course, whatever the being is that is looking like Sarah Palmer, you know, c- could, you know, fluctuate between time frames and knows when something has changed. I don't know. I I well, uh, I need to think here's... about it some more. Right. Go ahead. I I didn't yeah, I watched that scene twice and I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't understand what this scene means. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. But now I'm wondering because you kind of hinted at it. Yeah. Is is it not Sarah Palma but her tulpa? Right. Who's angry that the timeline is being changed, that Laura Palmer is being saved and somehow repeatedly hitting her picture with that bottle somehow changes things back because in the next scene. Uh, well, also, th- there were there's some theories going around that whatever it is that is Sarah Palmer is actually Judy. That's what's inside of sarah palmer when she takes her face off and you know bites that guy's throat out and right all this well, other I, weird shit but i don't know i don't know well, I, that's i have yeah, no idea at this because point because i think anything like that like there's a scene in the first episode where it's laura palmer who removes her face and, and true but there's i, I but, think but there's bright shining light coming out when she does that but yeah but she also says i am dead and then she takes true. off her face i think yeah and then there's, you know, when the tulpas go back to the Black Lodge and they break down, their face, they're kind of hollow inside. Yeah. So, I, you know, I always think of, I mean, when I think of that Sarah Palmer, I, I, I think of her as being tulpa Sarah Palmer, not the real Sarah Palmer, because her face comes off and she's she's yeah. a tulpa. And it's funny because now it's all kind of weird in my mind. Because in my mind, I'm like, oh, if you're a tulpa, there's two of you. There's the real you and the tulpa you. Mm-hmm. But like that, the other thing I have a hard time wrapping my head around is I tried to watch the series when I rewatched it looking for the point where Diane changes from Diane to a tulpa. Uh-huh. But she's always kind of both. Yeah, I I think, you know, the tulpa has memories of their original. So maybe right. somehow the the thoughts and feelings of the original leak into the tulpa and they sometimes are conflicted by what right. they're doing. Because mm-hmm. I think that's what we see with Sarah Palmer in the grocery store when she's like, you know, ah. having that freak out and she's talking to herself. Right. But she's really the tulpa there and the and but you're right, there's some vestiges of their real self mm-hmm. still in there trying to gain control of the tulpa but it can't. Right. Um wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So maybe that's what happens in that scene. Maybe what's that maybe that's what that scene signifies that the evil in her, the tulpa in her mm-hmm. takes that glass bottle and repeatedly hits it Laura's face with it, the picture of oh. Laura. For some reason, because, I th- I thought that was a knife, but it was a glass bottle. Okay. Yeah, she All breaks right. a like a big vodka bottle because that's oh. the other thing. There's vodka bottles and cigarette butts and everything on the table, like there was in the scenes we've seen before. Oh, okay. So maybe yeah. she's somehow through magic. Mm-hmm. That's why Cooper loses Laura's hand in the next scene because she's she's the evil has performed some kind of magic that makes laura cooper not able to save laura okay well i mean but she's still kind of saved but she kind of well anyway we'll we'll get to that we'll get to that sorry let's go ahead and finish this thing out 
Um, So um, Cooper and Lara walk through the dark forest. The evolution of the arm sound is heard. Then Lara is gone. Then a whooshing sound and Lara screaming. Cooper appears saddened looking into the dark forest and then cut to Julie Cruz singing The World Spins. And Do you read the-, the stuff online where Julie Cruz was pissed off that they cut that they cut her performance down to almost nothing? Yeah, I did hear that. She was uh very angry. I mean, yeah, called Lynch the emperor and I was just like, "Honey, you you would have no career if it wasn't for David Lynch. You better sweeten your tune up right now." <laughs> right. That's that's true. 25 years ago, Nobody hardly knew her, but she no became one knew who she was. An, yeah, an overnight sensation. Yeah, and rightly so. She's talented, has an amazing voice. Oh yeah. But I just thought, wow, talk about you know. And supposedly she'd been retired, and I guess maybe he talked her into coming back to doing this, and maybe he promised her it would be amazing or something. Yeah. And I, but I didn't realize how short her. It's like, yeah, she really only sings a few lines, and then the credits start rolling over her face. Yeah. And, but you know, I mean, considering the events of this episode, I mean, it's not you know, it's not about her. But I mean, I have to admit though, it was great to see her, and I'm oh, so glad so that she got to have you know at least some moments in the spotlight. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I don't know why Lynch cut it down so much. I mean, he's certainly not hurried to get anything done. He could have. He could have kept more of her performance in and you know i always consider julie cruz and this and the songs she recorded that are in twin peaks as kind of the dirges for laura palmer you know they're the Mm -hmm. the sad sorrowful songs that commemorate laura palmer's life um so it, it would have been appropriate maybe to have a longer performance but I, you know, on original on the original viewing, I thought it was just great. Um, on the second viewing, I realized, oh, it really, she's not on screen that long, and most of the time, credits are rolling. So mm, that's true. Maybe she, you know, I, I assume what she wanted, she wanted, yeah, to not just be background music for the credits. Um, I, I'm not even sure. I obviously I didn't time how long she had. You know, of being front and center on the screen before text was scrolling across her face. Oh, but, I think it's 30 seconds or so. Oh, really? Ooh, okay. Yeah, it's not long. All right. Well, I can so, understand her disappointment, but, you know, come on. Yeah, you, right. Yeah, I, I do too, but at the same time, I'm like, man, uh, you know, I guess you don't care about your career anymore if you're going to dump on David Lynch right now because you're, you're going to look bad, not him. Yeah, I mean... There could be more projects that they work on together in the future, but I think she kind of burned that bridge. Yeah, she sure did. Yeah. So. And um, then the only other thing, and maybe you were going to mention this, is the uh, at the end of the episode it says, In memory of Jack Nance, which I thought was nice. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, I remember seeing that. I, I was... I almost wrote that down in my notes, but I, I for some reason I got distracted. I saw something shiny. You're right. It was just great. I love that. I love that when we go back in time and and then we're at the we're back in 1990 or 89 and February uh, 23rd, 1989. That's right. That's the day she dies. Right. Yeah. And that's what's important about that. Yes. Date. Mm-hmm. Um. And I just thought it was really cool that we kind of reset and we saw, I think the scene of Josie putting on her lipstick is the very first scene in the series I when it aired. Right. Yep. Yeah. So it was kind of like, okay, we're, we're resetting to zero here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it was also good to see those characters and, and also, um, uh, you know, I know we talked about, it would be, it would be cool if some of them were in the, 
in this new series. Right. But Jack Nance is dead. Yes. And uh, in um, in the Mark Frost, A Secret History of Twin Peaks, a novel, mm-hmm. the character of Josie Packard is dead. Yes. I hope I, I, and um, so and then, of course, the Piper Laurie has gotten much older and much larger and I don't really know that anything yeah. she she that's in this new season would doesn't really have anything to do with any of her story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I, it was nice to see them again. Right. I mean, since there was no Jack Nance and no Josie Packard in the new series, other than in flashback, yeah, did, and there was no reason to have the Catherine Martell character. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. They. Yeah, and in in a secret history of Twin Peaks. I do believe there's a thing where they talk about that uh, she ends up selling the um, the thing where they make wood. What do you call that? God damn it. The sawmill? Uh, the mill. The, yeah. The mill. Mm-hmm. To I believe she sells it to um, Ben Horn, and that's and it's part of Ghostwood Estates now. Yeah, that's right. I do, I do recall that in uh, The Secret History of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, so those storylines are tied up. But they're just tied up in a book instead of in this in this series. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, oh, speaking of the secret history of Twin Peaks, it was kind of cool to find out that the well, I don't know if I want to give away spoilers if people want to read the secret history of Twin Peaks. That well, um, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. You know, just fast forward fifteen seconds. Um, that. Major Briggs is the archivist in the book. Oh, I don't think I got to that part oh, yet. Oh, shit. Well, I'm so sorry. Oh, god damn it. Have you finished it? Have, I have you finished it? Yeah, I, fi- I finished it. Oh, I'm still... I'm right at the part where they're talking about L. Ron Hubbard. I was like, wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got bored during the UFO stuff, and then they moved to Twin Peaks, and I was like, oh, great. We're done with the UFO stuff. Mm-hmm. And then after the first section about Twin Peaks, then there's a... Another section that starts talking about UFOs and crazy shit again, and I was like, "Oh right. fuck, I got more of this to get through." That's pretty. That's pretty much the rest of the uh, the story, or the rest yeah. of the book. Well, it goes it goes into more about uh, uh, Douglas Milford and how he uh, became associated with uh, Garland Briggs. Also, oh well, that's interesting. Okay, so yeah, so it's worth reading. Now, I, now I'm like, don't spoil it for me. I'm, no, no, I'm no, the no. asshole. I was like, yeah. don't spoil it. Yeah, I guess um, it's I guess it's not really a big deal that you find out the archivist is Major Briggs, but no, but that's certainly fucking interesting, and it makes me want to read it more. So maybe that's a good, <laughs> okay. good spoiler. All right, so. cool. Um, okay, we want to talk more about episode seventeen, or should we jump into episode eighteen? Uh, you Let's need to- get into eighteen, baby. All right. It's funny the notes for it are shorter just because way shorter. Yeah, <laughs> so much less dialogue and a lot of driving. Lots and lots of driving. (laughs) Okay, so uh, Twin Peaks Part 18... What is your name? So, what is your quest? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, speaking of that, about episode 17, that one scene with the floating head of uh, Major Briggs. And the mm-hmm. the caged head of uh, Doppelganger that reminded me of uh, uh, Monty Python animation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get what you mean. Yes, I didn't think that when I saw it, but I I know what you're saying. That's true. Right. Though it wasn't necessarily humorous. It just had that same feel of like cutouts and moving things, and you know. Right. Yeah. That's okay. interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like modern day collage. Definitely. Okay, Twin Peaks Part 18, what is your name? 
All right, the first scene. In the Black Lodge, the doppelganger sits motionless in a chair with his eyes glazed over and apparently on fire. Um, so, so, fire walk with me. Yes. So he appears dead and in a state of suspended animation. The one-armed man places a gold seed on another chair along with a lock of Good Cooper's hair. He proclaims, Electricity! As he squeezes the two items three times, giving an electric jolt with each squeeze. The seed expands and becomes Douglas Jones, the real Douglas Jones, sitting in the chair. Confused yet friendly, he asks the one-armed man who is staring at him, Where am I? (laughs) Now, what made you think it was Douglas Jones? I just thought it was a copy of Good Coop. Well, he's dopey like Douglas Jones, and he has the personality of the original Douglas Jones. Well, okay, yeah. Now I didn't think I didn't notice that or or snap to that when you uh, when I watched it. But now that you say that, I, I see what you're saying. Actually, when I watched it, I thought it was. I thought maybe. The real Cooper went uh, back to Janie E, and the copy of Cooper is the one that would be continuing the story. But the Cooper that goes back to Janie E does not have a badge on his a pin on his lapel, and the right. Cooper that continues in the story does. So it's definitely the copy right. that goes because his back person- with Janie E. Right, because he's also asking, "Where am I?" <laughs> right, yeah, but I. But then you see, you see Cooper show up at Janie E and um, at, at the door, and Janie E and Sunny Boy Jim come and and greet him. Well, that's that's Dougie coming to the door. Well, yeah, but well, I, I thought for a second, wouldn't okay. it be cool if the real Cooper <laughs> All right. just created created that's... a copy of himself to live out the rest of the FBI life, and he went to live with Janie E and Sunny Boy Jim because he seemed very happy there. Okay, now that's a way, way out there theory. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's, and, it's interesting, but I, I don't believe it for a second. Yeah, um, well, I, that's why I looked to see for the pin, you know, on his lapel, because uh, real Cooper or, right. you know, whatever you want, FBI Cooper, yes. good Cooper, mm-hmm. has the lapel on his pin. Okay. Has the pin on his lapel. <laughs> All right. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. All right. So, All right. So then immediately we cut to an image of the red door in the Rancho Rosa housing development in Las Vegas, Nevada. From inside, the doorbell rings. Janie E. answers it. It's Dougie. Janie E. proclaims, Dougie, and hugs him. Sonny Jim calls out from off screen, Dad? And then he runs in, Dad, Dad. So he runs up to Dougie and hugs him. So then, you know, rewatching uh-huh. it, I thought the kid who played Sonny Boy Jim was actually really good. You know, like I Sunny said Boy? before, yeah, Sonny Jim. Uh, yes, so, right. it's not Sonny Boy Jim. No, it's just Sonny Jim. Sonny Jim. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. It doesn't um, matter. <laughs> like, like the first time I saw it, when like him and Dougie are at the kitchen table, and Dougie's got his tie on top of his head, and right. and does doesn't know how to do anything. It just infuri- You know, it irritated me so much that I again I couldn't really pay attention. Uh. And then when I Watched uh-huh. it the second time, knowing what it was. Sunny boy, Sunny Jim is laughing and have and just enjoying it, and it was kind of sweet. I kind of laughed along too and thought it was cute. Right. So- <laughs> I like I like the interaction scenes between you know. It's like he doesn't seem that put off by the fact that his father is not talking to him. 
Yeah, but his dad's there, which maybe he isn't there that often. Yeah, uh, in the past. So right. yeah, I mean his yeah. presence and his you know compassionate interaction is what matters. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So once I could, once I knew it wasn't going anywhere, and I just let it be the scene it was, I I liked it way better. And even even laugh. There's something that that uh, Cooper does. Mm-hmm. That's kind of funny, and and Sunny Jim laughs, and I I was laughing too. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't okay. remember what it was. Well, I guess that's the beauty of you know rewatching some things. You you can yes. gather a, a better appreciation of it. Right. Yes, because you know past dictates the future, and once you know where it's going, then when you go back to rewatch where it was, wow, context mm. comes into play, and it's a lot easier to notice things. Wow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're not so worried about necessarily trying to absorb all the information. You can then kind of just appreciate the scenery, so to speak. Right, mm-hmm. right. Because with Lynch and with Twin Peaks, when you watch it the first time, you're looking for clues, man. Your whole <laughs> yeah. your whole mindset is attuned to looking for clues. And when you <laughs> exactly. know there's no clues in a certain scene, <laughs> yeah, it's easier hilarious. to relax. So <laughs> That's right. Okay, so then it cuts back to, the to yes, back out in the woods. This is a scene we've seen before. Cooper is leading Laura Palmer through the woods. The evolution of the arm's electric scratching sound is heard, along with an intense whooshing sound. Laura is gone. She is heard screaming. Cooper is left alone, staring into the woods. <laughs> All right, then, and this may be a jump in time or just a jump in place. He is back in the Black Lodge sitting with the one-armed man who stares at him, and then the one-armed man says, Is it future or is it past? They stare at each other, and the one-armed man disappears. Now, at this point, Cooper waits for Lara to appear in the chair, as she had done in a similar scene in Part 1. She does not. The one mm, hmm, yeah. okay. He's just, That's interesting. I didn't get that either. I got that he looked at the chair, mm-hmm. but I didn't snap to the fact that that's what he's looking for, for Laura to be there. Yeah. She's not there this time. Yeah, it's like he's, he's not looking at the chair the one-armed man was just in. He's looking no. in, in the, the other chair, which nobody ever appears <sighs> in. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So pretty is wild. Is it future or is it past? Mm-hmm. Where's Laura? Find yeah. Laura. <laughs> okay. Good point. Wow. So anyway, <gasps> yeah, I know it's it's yeah. I mean, see, yeah. this is why it's so great to talk to you. I could have watched that scene twenty times, <laughs> and it would never occur to me that where's Laura mm-hmm. in that scene. It's just something that didn't hit hit my brain for for whatever reason yeah i i just thought it was lynch being lynch and and leaving the camera on longer (laughs) (laughs) right wow yes okay fantastic i'm sorry that just one of those Mm -hmm. blew my mind for a second thing yeah (laughs) you you know what's also disconcerting about that scene is when it starts the one-armed man is staring at cooper and it's just long and you think it's a freeze frame at first but then he starts talking and it's, it's very weird. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So then the one-armed man now is at the other end of the room and he beckons Cooper to follow. Cooper does. They go through the red curtain to the evolution of the arm room. It speaks. I am the arm and I sound like this. Pew 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 pew
<laughs> I don't know what that was all about. Then it says, it is the story of the little girl who lives oh, down the is lane. It, hmm? Is it the story of oh, the yeah. little girl sorry, who lives sorry. down the lane? Is it the story of the little girl who lives down the lane? And then he asks, is it? Is it? No, it's a story of good versus evil and of time being a concept. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. Thank God for that. All right. Um, so then at that point, I don't know if it's a flashback or just Cooper remembering, remembering Laura whispering to him. And then he seems to be in shock by what she is whispering to him. Which, which didn't uh-huh. seem to be the way it was the first time you saw it. I don't think. I don't remember him being that reactive. Having that reaction. Yeah, it didn't seem. Yeah, because he then he says, "Huh?" Yeah. And she then starts vibrating and jerking around, and then gets pulled away by some in unseen force, almost kind of like the way the Diane Tulpa was jerked away. Right. All right. Um. So after that, we see Cooper walk back into the chair room. Leland Palmer is sitting in one of the chairs, staring at Cooper with a sad, concerned look on his face. He says, in backwards speak, Find Laura. She is lost in time and space. So (laughs) Cooper walks back through a curtain. He then waves his hand, which causes another set of red curtains to flutter and open. He walks through them out into Glastonbury Grove, where he finds Diane is waiting for him. Yeah, out of the Black Lodge. Yep, he's out of the Black Lodge, right next to the the, the black pool of uh, burnt engine oil and the, gro- yes. and the grove of sycamores. So anyway, <laughs> Diane is waiting for him out there. He seems surprised and somewhat wary. Okay, they stare at each other. She asks, is it you? Is it really you? He smiles and says, yes, it's really me, Diane. She touches his face. He asks, is it really you? And she says, yes. Cut to Cooper and Diane are driving down a highway in a 60s-era black sedan on a sun, sunny day. She asks, you sure you want to do this? He doesn't answer. They continue driving. She says, you don't know what it's going to be like once we... He cuts her off. I know that. We're at that point now. I can feel it. After a while, he looks down at the odometer and says, look, almost exactly 430 miles... He then, four three oh right. Remember four three zero or whatever. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what the giant said in episode one. So yep. any, uh, then Cooper then pulls off onto the side of the road and proclaims exactly four hundred and thirty miles. After he puts the car in park, Diane tells him, "Just think about it, Cooper." He gets out of the car and walks up the shoulder of the road. High-voltage power lines crackle on the side of the road. He stops, turns around, looks at his watch. Diane waits tensely in the car. He walks back to the car, gets in, and says to Diane, This is the place, all right. Kiss me. Once we cross, it could all be different. So they kiss. She then says, Let's go. They continue driving on the shoulder as they pass the high-voltage power line. Flashing and crackling and whooshing occurs. Suddenly, they are traveling at high speed on a highway at night. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's so, a lot of shit when it happened just then. Right. So, in my... So, again, now I, I gotta watch that scene again, but 
Mm-hmm. I'm thinking there's a vortex there. We don't see the vortex because remember when uh, Gordon Cole was standing in that lot and and he saw the vortex, but when they pulled the camera away, it just looked like he was standing there with his hands up. Right. You, we, we don't see the vortex on screen unless we're someone is standing in it and looking at it. And I don't know if we ever got a POV shot from Cooper's point of view during that scene. But in my mind, that's where a vortex of some kind is. Maybe it's not the same kind of vortex. Obviously, when they when they do go through whatever it is that's there, things yeah. change. Right. That, that does make sense that, that probably there was a vortex or something. Because when he gets to that spot when he's walking, his arms kind of start raising up. Kind of like Gordon's arms raised up uh, right. when he saw the vortex. Of course... So, yeah, I think uh, that that's a good observation on your part that probably that's where a vortex was. And here's another mm-hmm. thing I thought, not to get too far ahead of where we're going, uh-huh. but I wondered, <clears throat> because I still don't understand episode eight when the... I mean, I've, I vaguely understand episode eight when the when the bomb goes off and Bob is born, I guess. Yeah. You know, that that's kind of the birth of evil or whatever. Yes. Um, but then I was like, okay, are they near that place when they get to that vortex? Because it seems like they're in a desert-like place like New Mexico. Uh-huh. Okay. And, again, not to go too far ahead here, I, I looked on a, I, I Google mapped it. Mm-hmm. Oh, Al- Alamogorda is only five hours from Odessa. Ah, okay. So I'm like, hmm, is that the original vortex <laughs> that was created when the bomb went off in New Mexico? Because then they cut to them driving and it's nighttime. And yeah. the last, you know, and w- we saw people driving in New Mexico at nighttime in another scene when the woodsman came. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I could be, I could be totally wrong, but all those things started going through my head when, when this scene was happening, mm-hmm. and I was watching it for the second time. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. After the ring is put on Bad Cooper's finger, and after Cooper saves Laura Palmer, uh, we never see a woodsman again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. I, I'm not because, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Some somehow have changed. Yeah. yeah, they have changed in a big way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, shall we continue? Yeah. All right. Later, Cooper and Diane pull into a one-story '60s era <laughs> motor court motel gravel parking lot. Cooper gets out and walks to the office. Diane waits in the car. After a few moments, she glances over at a brick pillar by the entrance of the office and sees herself standing by it. She who, Yeah, what the who hell? Who is that? Who know. is real and who is not real? <laughs> exactly. How so. many timelines could there be? <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing is she is not shocked or surprised no, by no. seeing her double. I mean, uh, did you get anything I I thought about that scene too and I was like, what does this mean? She's not shocked, you know, you would think um, our original reaction was <gasps> When, yeah. like, when she f- walks out from behind the pillar. Yeah, that was a, what the fuck is that? Kind yeah. Of situation, and she, right? She has none. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, hmm, is, is you know, is is it because there's, you know, there's tulpas out there still? Or, you know, and at this point, because they've talked yeah. about once we go through, things could be different. Mm-hmm. How many versions of of Diane are there in the world now? Right. Is that version of Diane named Linda? Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Wow. I'm I'm getting ahead of us myself. Yeah, but wow. 
Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. So anyway, Cooper returns from the motel office and stands by room number seven. Diane gets out of the car and walks toward him. He unlocks the door, and they both enter. Did she- you happen to notice, I didn't go back and look, when they, when he's at the, the 60s-era motel in the in the dream landscape above the convenience store, uh-huh. what what room number Phillips Jeffries was in? I think it was eight. Okay, because I there was the whole that whole the second time I watched that scene too, I was looking to see are there hedges like there were in the in the <laughs> motel above the you know, and you can't really tell if it's the same place or not. Yeah. There's no true indication that it is or isn't. So yeah, okay. I think it's a different motor court because the one that Jeffries is in is the kind that. The buildings surround the parking lot, and well, or that's what it appears to me. But I don't know. I really, yeah. I really can't say that I know. So, yeah. All right. Um, all right. So they so, en- so they enter the motel room. She turns the light on. He tells her to turn it off. She asks, "What do we do now?" He replies, "You come over here to me." She does. He says, "Diane, the kiss." All of a sudden, the platters, my prayer, begins to play. The scene and- cuts to them. Having sex. Ominous. uh, Uh Uh-huh, go ahead. When was the last time we heard that song? When the radio station was playing it when the woodsman arrived. Yeah. Yeah, back, I guess I was in White Sands area. In episode eight, I think, yeah. I believe you're right. So then we cut to them having sex. The song My Prayer cuts out, then ominous music now sounds. She is on top of him, writhing up and down. He stares at her emotionless as she rides him. My prayer kicks back in again. Diane is full of emotion and kisses him during their coitus. He remains emotionless, staring up at her. She begins covering his face with her hands as she stares at the ceiling, continuing her undulations. She begins to cry while covering his face even more. She has a sad orgasm at the crescendo of the song. <laughs> We've all had those. <laughs> oh, man. I was just, I'm on Wikipedia right now to see if I can see what year. It's called My Dream, isn't it? My Prayer. My Prayer. My what Prayer. Year, what year that came out? Uh, 61. That's my guess. I, I don't 56. Know. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. I was so, way off. Yeah. Okay. okay. Is that the same time the woodsman arrived in 56? Oh, it is! <laughs> Holy fuckballs! <laughs> well, I guess they were, they were playing that, you know, on the radio yes. when the woodsman but, arrived, so that makes, you know, sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But um, what's great about a song like that in a show like this is... Uh-huh. It could be 1956, or it could be 2017, and that song could be playing mm, when that... we're in the. Although I didn't think about this either, when mm. we're in the um, Bang Bang Club, when Jacques Renault, not Jacques Renault, but whatever the Renault is that's on the phone talking about the two straight A whores, Jean Michel, Jean Michel, and they're playing Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs, right? Which is not from. 2017. No, nope. that song is from the 60s. True. Sharp dressed man is from the 80s. Yeah. But are those songs oldies or hmm, interesting? Oh, okay. <laughs> or are we actually <laughs> back in time? I don't know. We'll have to watch and and see if there are any uh, modern uh, things. 
So, move on? Shall we move on? Oh, let, yeah. me, let, let me say something here first. Okay. Did you notice how Cooper's demeanor has changed? It's almost like a, a remnant of doppelganger is in him. He's kind of, his facial expressions are a little more sour, and his uh, the way he talks to Diane is a little more rough. I mean, he's still mostly all Cooper, but it just seems like there's like a touch of doppelganger in him. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially in, you know, during the sex scene when he's just staring at her kind of, you know, just emotionless. Almost. Yes, and of course at this point we, we're not as sure about what's going on as we are now. Yeah. And you're like, is this is this Cooper and Diane having sex really for the first time? Is she thinking about that time she told us about when he raped her, when bad Cooper raped her, even uh-huh. though she knows that wasn't really him? I mean, I could imagine that, you know, oh. if that happened to someone, right. even, if, even if you knew it was like, I don't know, if there were two twin brothers and one was bad and he raped you and then you were going to have an affair with the other brother uh-huh. it'd be hard to not think about that time the one that looked like him raped you right. um, so, so you know of course during all that lovemaking scene out and she's putting her hands over his face and shit and you're like mm-hmm. what the fuck is she going through what is wrong is she right. not liking this because you know we've all waited for 25 years for cooper and diane to be together mm-hmm. yeah it's like she's she she's got mixed emotions here you know but she's got this Love for, you know, Dale Cooper, yet she has this horrible memory of being raped by the doppelganger. So, right. Yeah. yeah. It's and got to be and, yeah, difficult. He, yeah. And he isn't doing anything really to help. He isn't being gentle and tender with her or, right. you know, he's almost just kind of laying there letting her fuck herself on him. Right. And so, yeah, you're right. His demeanor is a little different, but it's so subtle. You know, you almost don't. I didn't really think about it that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there were some things he said to her when they were riding in the car where he was kind of uh, curt with her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I yeah. just, you know, you just don't think about it at this point until you mm-hmm. until you watch it with a little more context. Right. Okay. <laughs> um. So... All right, moving on. The next morning, Cooper wakes up alone. Diane is nowhere to be found. He calls for her. There's no answer. He gets out of bed and finds a note on the nightstand. It reads, Dear Richard, Richard, (laughs) when you read this, I'll be gone. Please don't try to find me. I don't recognize you anymore. Whatever it was we had together is over. Linda. Remember Richard and Linda? Yeah, I do, though. That was that was right after the giant said 430. Remember mm-hmm. 430. Richard yeah. and Linda. Two birds with one stone. Yeah, remind me. Do you remember when two birds with one stone? Is that something the giant said in the original series at some point? Uh, I can't remember when that was said and in what context. I don't know. Might have to look that up. Yeah, that, that, because that's obviously important to what's going on. And, you know, I don't remember what contact. I remember that being said at some point. Well, it, uh, it, all, it almost sounds like when he said, um, uh, one and the same. Right, yeah. But, but that's it's very the same cadence, but different meaning. Um, but so, um, oh, yeah. So after Cooper reads the note, he says to himself, Richard, Linda. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, and then I, I did put in my note, these are the names that the fireman slash giant 
told him to remember in part one, two birds yeah. with one stone. At the very beginning. So, yeah. Yep. So, I... I I kind of, of course, we're we're at the last episode here. There's a lot of things that has been said that we're waiting for things to happen. Mm-hmm. Certainly, when he says four three four hundred and thirty miles at the uh, when he's in wherever they are, um, yep. when um, you think about the oh yeah four four hundred and thirty that was something that was said by the the fireman the giant yeah and then and then that makes you go oh yeah and Richard and Linda we heard about Linda during one scene with Carl. But that's yes. you know. But where's Richard? But then now we find out. So so Richard and Linda. That question it gets answered. We see what that means. Yeah. So I mean, it's almost like when they pass through that vortex or whatever that was at the four hundred and thirty mile mark, they traveled into a different dimension or alternate reality where they are. Richard and Linda different timeline or something yes yeah what's yes it's that's yeah when when my brain started just spinning you know i was like what what's going on (laughs) right yeah yeah all right and then it gets even weirder because then as cooper exits the motel room the motel is now a two-story 80s era motel with a black topped parking lot first viewing again so hungry for answers and what's going to happen next i didn't even really snap to any of that i didn't slap snap to any of it until uh uh, second watching when you're looking for things right i think i remember on the first watching something didn't seem right in the back of my head of course then when he walks out to his car it's on the other side of a parking lot and now it's a late model black four-door sedan you know probably right uh, right whatever um so i'm like oh okay i know that car is not right and so in the second viewing i was like oh the motel is not the same and is a paved parking lot as opposed to a gravel parking lot when they first arrived and so yeah so i know yeah things are way different than when they entered that motel room yes so anyway uh, after he gets into his new car he drives (laughs) off (laughs) <laughs> so um, then they cut to the next scene where Cooper, in his new car, enters Odessa, Texas, population 99,940. Five dri- hours from Alamogordo. Yeah. But also, but they've Ooh. possibly driven five hours since they went through the vortex or since things could be different. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so he drives down a main thoroughfare until he sees a diner named Judy's. He stops and turns into the parking lot. Eat at Judy's. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) So he enters the diner, stops, looks around, sees two old people in the rear of the diner eating and some cowboys in a booth. He takes a seat in another booth. A pretty young waitress, who happens to be named Christy, approaches and pours him a cup of coffee. For half a second, I thought it was Becky. Oh, that would have been too (laughs) much. I thought, oh, what's it's you know because at this point you're kind of like something's things are different. This is not the same. Yeah. Something has changed, yeah. But I and I you know you you think are we in alternate reality here? But uh, it wasn't Becky, so I was like, oh well, maybe not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, after she pours him the coffee, he asks, "Is there another waitress who works here?" And she says, "Yeah." It's her day off. Actually, it's her third day off. So she walks away toward the booth with three cowboys in it. 
she's heard to say more coffee than we hear. Stop it. One of the cowboys is heard to be laughing at as Christy pulls away from him. Stop it. Stop it. Cooper, noticing this, says to them, leave her alone. All three cowboys turn to look at him. One of the cowboys approaches Cooper. The other two follow behind. The first cowboy says, What the fuck are you doing? Cooper replies, What? The cowboy pulls a gun from behind his back and orders Cooper to get the fuck out of that booth. Cooper quickly grabs the gun and slams it to the table and kicks the cowboy in the groin. He falls to the ground, writhing in pain. Cooper then grabs the gun and shoots the second cowboy in the foot. That cowboy falls to the ground. The old couple in the back of the cafe is shocked by what they see. He tells the third cowboy to put his gun on the ground. The third cowboy claims not to have a gun. Cooper repeats, put your gun on the ground. The man complies. Cooper then tells him to sit down. He takes all three of their guns. He walks behind the counter and tells Christy to write the address of the other waitress on a piece of paper. As she does this, Cooper places the cowboy's guns in the deep fryer. He tells the short order cook, I don't know if the oil is hot enough to set off those bullets, but I'd move away. The cook (laughs) leaves. (laughs) He gets the address from the waitress and tells her, it's okay. I'm with the FBI. So at this point, we know he's not Richard. He's still with the FBI, and he's probably still Dale Cooper. Right. Um, I mean, he introduces himself as such later, so we know that for fact, but... Right. But at this point, we're like... Is he Richard? Is this, you know, again, is this, yeah. they drove through the vortex, is the, things could be different, is he not Cooper anymore? We're still not sure at this point, but then he, you know, he kicks those guys' ass, and you're like, okay, he's still right. badass. Um, yeah, but, badass. But I don't remember uh-huh. Cooper ever being that badass either. Cooper uh, was always real smart, but not necessarily, Yeah, so, you know. Somehow, that all that time he spent in the, uh, in the Black Lodge. <laughs> <laughs> he got his black belt or something. Yeah. <laughs> the Black Lodge belt. Well, um, maybe, or, or maybe it's just like the Matrix, where he, all he had to do is plug into the back of his neck, and he all automatically learned Kung Fu. Right, no. downloaded the Kung Fu. Right. But I just yeah. thought, you know, at this point, we're still like, okay, who who is he? Because, you know, um, Diane's gone. Uh, things are seem different even if we haven't quite snapped to all, what is different. I remember when he went into the restaurant, I looked and there were signs in the background that told the price of food, uh-huh. and that price seemed reasonably modern. Ah, um, okay. So I thought, okay, you know, because when they go through the vortex and they're driving the old car, we still don't know exactly what time, what year it is, what time it is, because. You know, just because they're driving an old car doesn't mean it's not modern, not 2017. Um, You know, there's still those old roadside motels that look very retro in 60s. That's true. You know, you're you're justifying all these things that kind of don't fit in your mind because, well, Mm -hmm. you know, just because it's 2017 doesn't mean there isn't people don't drive cars from the 70s and 60s and blah 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 so yeah. i'm you know but my mean, spidey senses were tingling trying to figure <laughs> things out but making sure okay no this is still you know right. dell cooper this is still 2017 he's still wearing the pin on his lapel true but they it's possible they could have been driving in 19 late 50s well, early 60s i, I yes. don't know what to what end yes. but i mean well of course they again, were definitely conspicuous with the use of this 
older car, especially when right. we see the newer car later. So, but on, on first viewing, know. all these mm-hmm. things aren't you know. Obviously, when we get to the very end, bells go off. But, <laughs> right. But True. in the first viewing, you're just kind of like, hmm. You know, you're you're still trying to figure everything out, and you're presuming that it's still you know it's still Diane and Cooper that we know. And it's still the same series that we've been watching, you know? Yes. It isn't until later that things really start going ding, ding, ding. Exactly. And, um, yeah. So, anyway, as Cooper is leaving the diner, one of the cowboys gets up and says, What the fuck just happened? (laughs) Which is probably what we'll be saying later on. Yes. (laughs) Or or what we said at the end of this episode, I should say. So, um, Cooper drives away. So, next scene is Cooper arrives at the address given to him by the waitress. That was the two. When he walks away, I'm like, oh, he, that's, a, that's a modern day car. And it, that's when I think I was like, weren't they in an older car earlier? Oh, that was when, <laughs> that was when you first snapped to it. Okay, got it. Yeah. All yeah. Right. So, he arrives at the address given to him by the waitress. The house number is 1516. I don't know if that's significant or not. Probably isn't. I don't, I yeah. don't think so. I don't think Couldn't so either. I not anything. I thought about it too. Couldn't come up with anything. Right. So, anyway, it's a pink stucco ranch type style home. He sees an electric pole with a number six on it. It's That's humming. Yes, it is. It's the same pole like in the uh, Fat Trout trailer park almost. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I don't know what it means, but it's interesting. So it's it, <laughs> the pole is humming. He walks to the front door of the home and knocks. A woman inside asks, who is it? Cooper answers, FBI. So she quickly opens the door. He is shocked to see that it's Laura Palmer, or so he thinks. Older, but definitely her. She asks in a Texas twang, Did you find him? Not hearing her, because he's amazed, he says, Laura. She asks, You didn't find him? He repeats, Laura. She tells him, You got the wrong house, mister. He responds, You're saying you're not Laura Palmer. She says, Laura who? No, I'm not her. He asks, What's your name? And she says, Carrie Page. And he says, Carrie Page? And she said, that's right. Now, I gotta go, so... And he says, wait. So the name Laura Palmer means nothing to you. She says, look, I don't know what you want, but I'm not her. He says, your father's name was Leland. And she's like, okay. And he says, your mother's name is Sarah. She seems confused, as if remembering something. Sarah? He says, yes, Sarah. She pauses, looks down, and whispers, what's going on? He says, it's difficult to explain. As strange as it sounds, I think you're a girl named Laura Palmer. I want to take you to your mother's home, your home at one time. It's very important. She stares at him, thinking, and says, um, listen, normally, somebody like you comes around And I tell them to fuck off. This door would be slammed in their face. Right now, I gotta get out of Dodge anyway. It's a long story, so riding with the FBI just might save my ass. Where are we going? He says, Twin Peaks, Washington. She says, D.C.? He says, no, state. Washington State. And she says, it's a long way? He's like, it's a long way. Let me get my things. Come on in. He enters. She says, give me a minute. He notices a stiff dead man sitting on the couch. Flies buzzing around him, bullet hole in what? his forehead. It's like, what the fuck is going what on? Is that? 
point in Carrie Page's life. Looks like her life is just about as fucked up as it was when she was Laura Palmer. So, <laughs> did you notice that the dead guy laying on the couch, his stomach was bulging out, almost like a like a, a bob globe was trying to come out. But there, oh no, I didn't notice that. <laughs> but there were <laughs> but there were no woodsmen there to pull it out. So right. <laughs> but I don't know. I think that was just. Well, Whatever. I have a theory about the dead guy, but we'll get into that in a minute. Okay, cool. All right. He also notices a small white horse figurine on the mantle of the fireplace. A mm. Yeah, white horse. A machine gun with a long banana clip lies on the floor. Laura re-enters the living room with her things while the phone starts ringing. She asks, Washington, is that like up north? The phone starts ringing. (gasps) Wild shit. Yeah, it's like, what's going on? Right. And how many landline phones are ringing in houses in America in 2017? (laughs) Well, that's an important point. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see her fiddling with a cell phone at any point either. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, now you're getting to me so anyway she's she seems kind of very unknowledgeable not very smart she's like washington is that up north do i need a coat and he's like take a coat if you've got one she's like i've got a couple i'll grab one so the phone continues ringing she re-enters and says listen i don't have any food here he says i'll get us some food on the way <laughs> like that was a weird line Fuck, uh, lynch <laughs> is a genius jesus okay sorry so anyway, she says, all right, let's go. They leave while the phone continues to ring. <sighs> Who the hell is calling her? Hmm. Well, the phone is ringing, and it's not – and that's a clue to the end of what's the show, you know, because yeah, I, how many landline phones ring like that in homes in America in 2017? Not a lot. You know, I, um, I didn't even think about that. Of course, they are, they are in Odessa, so who knows? <laughs> right, but still, I was just like – I mean, yeah. It, well, when, again, when we get to one of my theories, which I'm probably mm-hmm. is the same one that most people have, okay, we can talk about that more. But that's just one of those things I didn't think about at all. It's just like, oh, the phone is ringing. She doesn't even notice, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, l- her life is fucked up. There's a dead guy on the fucking couch, right? But, so she wants um, to get the hell out of there. Yeah, so it's not that surprising that she doesn't answer the phone. And of course, it's irritating because it just keeps ringing. And you're mm-hmm. like, fuck, somebody answer the fucking phone or at least be like, say something about it. But they completely ignore it. Yeah. Well, it's definitely like she she has no intention of answering that. She obviously does not want to talk to whoever's calling. And right. What was she? Who is she talking about at the beginning when she's like, did you find him? Yeah, we and, don't know. But obviously, again, right. okay. she's hiding in that house with a dead body because things are fucked up and she can't leave. Right. Let me ask you this. Do you think that the dead guy on the couch is somehow in cahoots with the uh, evil cowboys in the diner? I didn't think about that for at all. I don't, you know. It's, it's possible, know. but I think, I think again, I think the dead guy on the couch, well, there's one theory that I'll get into later, but another, when you're watching it, you're like, okay, she's obviously got a fucked up situation going on, and mm-hmm. so it's completely... Uh, reasonable that she would get in the car and go with Cooper because right you know staying where she is isn't going to solve anything so i i just okay. thought it was again it was a device that let you that created the believability that she would get in the car and go with Cooper mhm oh definitely yeah or part of that yeah 
okay, maybe, yeah, that, that that's the whole point of him. That's He's a device that makes it plausible for us to think that she would get in a car with a guy right. she's Right, it's that extra exclamation point, yeah. Okay, okay. All right. So, um, in Cooper's car, they drive on. She and asks, on. yes, yeah, and, and on. on. She asks, are you really an FBI agent? He shows her his badge and says, yes. She adds, well, at least we're getting out of this fucking town of Odessa. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of people living in Odessa are like, yep. <laughs> or some going, right. what yeah. the hell? <laughs> Multiple reactions, I'm sure. So yeah. they drive at night for what seems like forever. And I'm like, fuck, Lynch, how can you resolve everything in the 15 fucking minutes that are left? For <laughs> fuck's sake, how? Yeah. How, where could this possibly go that would tie up everything in a in a neat little bow so i could <laughs> go on with my life oh you're funny neat little bow <laughs> i mean really i mean weren't you thinking that i was like jesus I know. there's only 15 minutes left what could possibly happen in 15 minutes that would com- you know we've waited 18 episodes for him to save her and right. he didn't after 8 17 He's not. Is he going to save her in the last fucking fifteen minutes of the show? <laughs> okay, so if you were looking for a, a neat little bow, you should have stopped watching about three quarters of the way through episode seventeen, <laughs> because right. from but then course, on, know. everything is just topsy turvy, man. Yes, it really and is. And it's just they drive forever, <laughs> and then you look, and it's like there's only ten minutes left. There's only eight minutes left. <laughs> it's like there's only the fuck? six minutes left. Right. So. <laughs> Anyway, apparently, yes, it's it's a long, long drive from Texas to Washington. Well, God, fuck yeah, it is. I can't even imagine how long it would take to drive that distance. Uh, it's uh, got to be over a day, but of course, it seems like he just drives overnight or, yeah. you know. And they stop for gas once. Part of a day. <laughs> once, yeah. At All right. a modern gas station. Uh, good point. So it's a long drive from Texas to Washington. A car is driving behind them. Cooper looks back at it a few times. Carrie looks back, too, and asks, is someone following us? He looks back. Uh, eventually, the car finally passes them. They continue driving in the dark down a lonesome highway. She says, Odessa, I tried to keep a clean house, keep everything organized. And then she says, it's a long way. And then she sleeps, so I guess a lot of time it has elapsed while she sleeps. And then she, I think, wakes up and says, In those days, I was too young to know any better. So at that point, I'm like, wow, well, I guess maybe she's remembering or who knows. Right, yeah. yeah. Is she really Laura, but she's try- pretending that she isn't? Because Laura never met Agent Cooper. Yeah, so and- that's true. Yeah, so maybe, you know, over 25 years, could you possibly just blot out a really horrible period in your life and take on a new identity? Right, Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, let me continue. They stopped for gas and a piss at a Valero station. Yeah, okay, so (laughs) you had mentioned that, that it was a modern gas station. And they continue traveling. (laughs) And finally, after this travel log, (laughs) they finally make it to Twin Peaks. There's six minutes left, Lynch. (laughs) So it's still dark. All the traveling scenes they show are in the dark. Yes. They they pull through town past the Double R Diner. He asks her. Which is closed, yeah. He asks her, you recognize anything? She says no. He comes to a stop outside of the Palmer house and asks, do you recognize that house? She says no. 
They get out and walk toward the house. He takes her by the hand and says, come on. They walk up to the door. Cooper knocks several times. A woman answers the door. It is not Sarah Palmer. In fact, it's a 40-something woman with long blonde hair. She asks, yes? Cooper is shocked and surprised. He says, FBI, I'm Special Agent Dale Cooper. Is Sarah Palmer here? The woman asks, who? A little bit shaken, Cooper says, Sarah Palmer. And she says, no, there's no one here by that name. So he continues, do you know Sarah Palmer? And she says, no. And he says, is this your house? Do you own this house? Or do you rent this house? She says, yes, we own this house. He continues, who did you buy it from? She turns inside and asks an unseen man, honey, what was the name of the woman who sold us the house? A muffled voice responds to her. She turns back and says, Chalfont, a Mrs. Chalfont. Holy shit. (laughs) So he is momentarily at a loss for words. Finally, he asks, do you happen to know who she bought it from? The lady says, no, I don't, but she turns back into the house. Honey, do you know who owned it before Mrs. Chalfont? She turns back and impatiently says, no. He then asks, what is your name? And she says, Alice. Alice Tremond. Holy shit. And he says, okay, sorry to bother you so late at night. She says, that's okay. He says, good night. She says, good night. I'm like, holy crap, we're back to the Chalfonts and the Tremonds. Yeah. And, of course, for our listeners out there, you know, uh, Mrs. Chalfont appeared in the original series a few times and in Fire Walk With Me. I mean, she was one of the people who she was. She and her grandson, wearing the white mask with a pointy nose, approached Laura Palmer when she was loading up a car with uh, for Meals on Wheels. Uh, and then also, then when Donna was had taken over Meals on Wheels, she actually delivered some food to. Uh, I don't know if she was calling herself Chalfon or Tremond. I think Tremond. She delivered some food to Mrs. Tremond, and the lady was like, "Is that cream corn on that plate?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and then of course we saw um, Mrs. Chalfont slash Tremond in the room above the uh, convenience store in Fire Walk with me as well. So, you know. I think it's Mrs. Chalfont, too, that gives Laura a picture, and it's a picture of, like, a doorway, and then Laura dreams that she walks through that doorway. Right, yes. And that's the that's the convenience above the convenience store or something. I can't remember yeah. exactly where that dream takes her. Right. And, uh, and then she wakes up from that dream, and Annie's in her bed, I believe. Yep, right. <sighs> Annie's in her bed, and then, and then I think she wakes up again, and the owl ring is in her hand, and she screams, and then I think she wakes up later, and the, the ring is nowhere to be found. Yeah. So, but man, that whole dialogue at the door, you're just like, what the, what, what, what the, and, yeah. you, and you're like, you're waiting for this woman to get mad at Cooper and be like, who the fuck are you asking me all these questions? But she doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, she's obviously not happy that he's grilling her, but she's cooperating and giving answers and right. you know and you're, a, but and you're just like what where where is this going yeah there, i mean there's a little bit of impatience in her voice but then she kind of pulls it back and just you know uh, yeah. so it's so weird and we're like well what the fuck is it is it future or is it past <laughs> in what in what universe do the do the palmers not live in this house well, you know one palmer or another you know right 
Uh, so, you know, did the poem, did Sarah move out at one time and sold it to a Chalfont and then Chalfont sold it to this Tremond woman? We don't right. know. We don't we fucking don't know. know. And, and at this point, I, I'm, I'm just thinking we're in an alternate timeline. Things have changed. Yeah. It's a different timeline, but I'm not thinking what happens next. Right. So Cooper and Carrie slash Laura start slowly walking back to the car. They stop in the street. They both turn and look at the house. She looks at him. He slightly staggers forward as if trying to remember something and says, What year is this? She, (sighs) holy shit. She blinks, looks at the house. Then we hear a faint shouting, Laura! She looks at the house, starts shaking, and begins screaming. That scream of hers. Yeah. So Cooper turns, looks at her, the lights of the house go out, and everything immediately goes black. The scream... The lights explode and everything goes black. Yeah, really. The scream echoes. Then it fades back into a close-up of Cooper in the Black Lodge. Yeah, Laura it fades is to black for quite a while, and you're like, "Yeah, you're, is that it? Is that it? Right. Is that it?" I know you're <laughs> you are shell shocked, absolutely shell shocked. I mean, you're going, "What the fuck just happened? What what's going yeah. on? Where uh, am I? Who am I? What the fuck is going on?" And of course, uh, at first, you're also a little, "Is that is that it? Is that it? What does that mean? Is that it?" I know. But like a great mystery and puzzle, you have to go back and put it all together by rewatching and thinking. You right. have to think about it. Yeah, just when you thought that Lynch was going to spoon feed you everything in episode uh, 17, he creates the most elaborate puzzle in the world for you and to of, try to decipher yeah. in episode 18. And of course, we, you know, we said from the beginning. This is probably going to end with more questions than it answers. Yeah. And and it it did, but in a in a Lynchian amazing way. Yeah. You know. We're yeah, we're going to be uh, talking about this and thinking about this for years to come. Yeah. And um uh, have you pre-ordered your final dossier book yet? No, I, I, I'm I going to, though, but I keep saying I need to finish the secret history first. Right. Okay. Yeah, good point. Um, so anyway, let me close this out and say after, you know, the, the, the house lights go off and the, we explode to black, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> then we fade, they fade back into a close-up of Cooper in the Black Lodge. Lara is whispering something to him. He seems disturbed by what she is telling him. Yeah, he see it seem of course it's in slow mo and it right. seems like it's a different it's a different reaction than what we've seen at other times yes. when she whispers to him. And then right. of course we get the Lynch Frost logo that's also silent instead of the cackling electricity. That's right. Yes. I'm glad like, you oh. noticed that. Yeah, it was yeah. it was very silent after that. Yes. So, yeah. So the credits rolled and the uh the cast list for this episode is is very slim. I think there are only like I don't know ten ten people on yeah. the cast list at the end. Yeah, uh, the only people from the original series is well at the beginning. There's a couple, but it's mainly Cooper and you know it's Kyle MacLachlan and um, Cheryl Lee. Yep, I think that yeah, I don't I don't think there are any other people in episode eighteen that were on the original series as far as yeah, I, I don't either. Except like, except in flashback, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's it. Which those are in seventeen though. Okay. 18, let's see, eighteen. Well, Leland is in eighteen, and the one armed man is in eighteen, and the the evolution of the arm, and and uh, Diane. So wow. listen, man. Uh huh. Special Agent Dale Cooper has come unstuck in time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, uh, apparently, intentionally. Um, you know, I think he knew that. He was going somewhere when he walked through that door and would never, may never come back. Uh, or at right. Least it seemed like that when he said that he told uh, Cole and Diane not to follow him. Um, yeah. So did Diane actually follow him or was it a different Diane that he met up with later? I don't know. Huh. Well, she seemed so, to be the same. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we know, um, uh, like, okay, I know we have fan theories, so here's my first one. Okay. Uh, my first one is, it's all bullshit. Lynch does what he wants, and he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't try to make things make sense. He writes a th- scene, first scene, and it's like, ah, oh, remember Richard and Linda. And by episode 18, he's like, fuck, I better make, do something with that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that, that, I said that, now I've got to make it come true. So he writes a scene where they're Richard and Linda in a motel. It's all horse shit. He just does what he wants to does. He 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 <laughs> doesn't be. have any plan or theory. He just lets us sit around and try and figure it all out and laughs while we take all his random doodles and turn it into some <laughs> kind of plot and story. <laughs> right, right. He, he, I, I don't he, think that's... No. Well, it's very possible he just paints a very abstract... Uh, uh, painting and then lets people interpret it for themselves or so well, that seems yes um, that's definitely i read a thing online that was really cool where someone and i'll i'll, I'll probably butcher what they wrote because it was very clever they basically said uh, you know that that lynch was like a painter and mm-hmm. in this series it's like he had 18 canvases and uh, he exposed each canvas one per week and as a viewer you see the first canvas exposed and then you come back a week later and now there's two canvases Mm -hmm. and it's a different picture and then you know as the series goes here's a new canvas with new information and now you know at the end you have the whole picture he's not telling you a linear story he's painting a picture and until he reveals all 18 canvases you might not know what that story is really really about Hmm. And it may require you to rearrange some of the canvases in different orders in order to make sense of when something happened in relation to uh, another. Right, right. It's almost like there's 18 canvases in 18 separate rooms and you have to walk back and forth between the rooms and look at the two different canvases and, 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 you know. Right. But I, you know, I don't really think that I think a lot of what he does is take dreams and transcribe them and turn them into into film, into TV shows. Well, could be. Okay, you want to hear my way out there fan theory? Okay. Okay. And and this is my own. Um, All right. This is the this is the craziest fan theory I have. All right. All of reality is just in that black and white movie theater. And all of the characters in the Twin Peaks universe are in that giant side room uh, inside of those Jeffries devices. And they're all living their lives thinking they're interacting with other people, but it's all a virtual reality inside of their own little slippery Jeffries machines. Why, that's the Matrix, man. (laughs) (laughs) But that was the first thing that popped into my head, especially when we had the thing where, 
you know, uh, uh, Bad Cooper found the coordinates and he made his way, tried to make his way out, but he was trapped and then got stuck back into the 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 screen, the movie screen. You know, mm-hmm. it's like each character or multiple characters are pulled out of their Jeffrey's machines and put into various scenes as if it were a play going on. That's the Purple Rose of Cairo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, but you know, no, I that's, that's an interesting theory. Certainly, uh, certainly I don't find anything that's not feasible about that. Yeah, but I mean that's that's way out there because it doesn't take into account all the other different little plot points and the thing of Gordon's dream where he you know his Monica Bellucci dream yeah where he's like you know where where she tells him we're like the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside the dream but who is the dreamer right um, so and in and in that theory then the giant would be the dreamer maybe or the giant and it his, could be his wife or whoever the girl that was with him at one point i mean yeah that to me i mean that's certainly feasible that it's i mean that's a little bit of the matrix and a little bit of uh purple rose of cairo is you know what if it's just a big um uh, entertainment show created by the giant using all his the characters that are in his head or Uh in his jeffrey's machines right and and you know what if one of them escaped and so he has to go catch him and put him back in the story yeah Exactly. So, um, so here's my here's my this is what I really think it is theory. Okay. okay. Cooper's stuck in an infinite loop, infinite loop of trying to save Laura. Okay. Um, because it's the most evil thing that that he's personally experienced. Uh, it, it, it's like the night she dies is the the penultimate night time in his life, and he relives it constantly. It's the it's the, you know this is where you find Judy. This is the most evil thing he's mm-hmm. experienced, and and now he's an older man. It's twenty five years later, and he's still reliving that infinite loop, that figure eight that Jeffries draws wow. over and over. He's right. lost and unable to escape those memories in his mind. His inability to save Laura or any other woman, Annie, Audrey, Diane, immobilizes him and stymies him, making him lost in grief and frustration and bitterness. He's an old, not-so-superman who wants to save the world and finds that the evil of the world is unconquerable. Other movies talk about heroes saving the world. Lynch is the anti-Marvel comics, the anti-superhero. This <laughs> is a hero, hero who fails miserably and is then stuck in a constant loop of sorrow and regret about his ineffectiveness, left only to relive his attempts and continue to fail throughout eternity in his mind and in his dreams. Wow. Whoa. That that is one beautiful paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> but I I think I mean at, you know you know after much contemplation mm-hmm. that that's what I got is that you know he's whether it's in whether it's in his mind well it is it's in his mind it's it's you know throughout his life through the last twenty five years he wasn't able to save Laura even though he, he he wasn't there in time to save her at all and he can't get past that and so he just relives it and and he relived it in 2017 and he relived it in whatever timeline he was in when uh he finds uh carrie uh whatever her last name was um Uh you know it's 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 throughout time here's the other thing i wanted to mention about the timeline where he's where he meets carrie okay um someone mentioned i saw online and this is a great point that odessa's population hasn't been 99,000 for quite some time I read that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. And then when he's in the restaurant, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the food prices, like I said, 
looked modern, but they were just like so, uh, one plate was like nine ninety five or something like that. It's like, mm, yeah, you know. And then when he was at the Valero station, mm-hmm. I couldn't really tell, but it, someone said the prices were higher than they are now. So I'm wondering if this is sometime like in the year two thousand two thousand and one when gas prices were kind of crazy. Odessa's population was a little bit less. People still had phones that rang yeah. in their house. Okay, before cell know? phones, yeah. Right. Predominant. So, uh huh. That's interesting. So, so, um, but anyway, um, getting back to your theory. So then that makes Cooper the dreamer, doesn't it? If, yes. If, if he's yeah. constantly in this infinite loop. But yes, I, I would say yes. He's the dreamer constantly daydreaming and, and, and being sorrowful about not saving Laura. Here's another thing uh-huh. that I that I wrote. Okay. Um, that's why there's a dead man in Laura or Carrie's house. Mm-hmm. Coop is an FBI agent and should want to investigate this, but he only looks and thinks about it momentarily before the pull of trying to save Laura again in his mind overwhelms his duty as an FBI agent, and he neglects the duty to that duty to take her back to Twin Peaks because he's, again, caught in this loop. He can't solve other crimes. He's Velcroed to this one. Wow. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I think you have some, there's some merit to your, uh, to your theory. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard, I have heard the altered, uh, another theory about Laura being the dreamer. And what? the only clue yeah. to that is Laura being the dreamer is the one this one line that the log lady says Laura is the one yeah that's what i thought too that was uh, my next paragraph is or is laura the dreamer and cooper her hero but uh-huh. her dreams are never answered she's never saved she mm-hmm. she writes about in her diary about you know being having a special purpose and and uh-huh. Uh, all this stuff, and she dra- daydreams about being saved and having a normal life. Mm-hmm. And and then she says, of course, to Cooper when she meets him in the forest, "I've seen you in my dreams." Yeah. Um. But but he's not real. He can't save her. And so he's walking through the woods, and she disappears, and and uh and 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 is gone. And then he's left there in the dream world without her. Right. Wow. It's it's almost like she, you know, she's jumping from one failed life or failed dream to another. Yeah. Yeah, which which, you know, her life is so tragic mm-hmm. that especially if you read the secret uh diary of Laura Palmer, yeah. You know, you could see that all of what happens would be is like her, you know, she knows she's going to die. She knows she's doomed and all of Twin Peaks this, mm-hmm. The TV series and this this series could be her daydreams of right. what if I'm not doomed? What if someone comes and saves me? Yeah. Now, in the secret diary of Laura Palmer, did she, is there an entry in there of her talking about having an abortion? Yes. Okay. Yes, she does have an abortion. Okay. I forgot about that. Yeah, I wonder she if She talks that... about how Bobby's tender with her after that happens. Oh. For a, for a short amount of time, anyway. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Bobby. <laughs> oh, I, I love the character of Bobby. Yeah, he's he is a great character. There are a lot of great characters in this There are. In this we'll get into that show. in a second. <laughs> oh, that's right. 
we have that wonderful list to go down. Yes, uh, I have. Made. I have a lot more. I'm just going to read some of my other stuff I wrote because. <laughs> okay, no, that's fine. Do it. I, okay. I would be very interested to hear what you have to say. So I also wrote Lynch is the only abstract, unconventional, modern artist working in the medium of television. I don't mean that other TV shows and their participants aren't artists. They are artists in the medium of storytelling and plot and set design and location. But mm. Lynch is an abstract artist, someone trying to provoke thought with image and sound. He uses the same canvas as other TV show makers do, mm. plot, character, script, dialogue. But he reconfigures it in an unrecognizable way. We don't know what his true intention is. Is it a joke? Is it a mystery? Is he just trying to provoke a visceral response from us? Is he as curious about the finished product as we are? Um, But, you know, no one else does with TV what he does with TV. I would agree. I think he was almost kind of, um, in episode 17, kind of poking at and... In a in a, a fun way, kind of making fun of uh, typical everything is spoon fed to you and resolved uh, type television shows, and that's what the, the majority of the part of of episode seventeen is. Before we think that he's gone soft, but then right. he then Here's he shows the us. We've been but, waiting for. But then he shows us not where it counts. Again, you know, with episode eighteen, just totally blowing our worlds away. Yeah, I thought I was thinking about that when I was watching some of the scenes at the roadhouse where people talk uh, Mm -hmm. uh, that don't seem to really mean anything. There's the whole thing with that with that singer girl. I don't know how to say her name. Is it Sky Ferrara or whatever her name is Uh where she has the rash, you know? And it's like, right. And they're they're talking about, did you see the penguin? Did you see the zebra? <laughs> right. And you're like, what what the, what the fuck are they talking about? And I was thinking, you know, in the original t- Twin Peaks, there was the the soap opera Invitation to Love. Is that what it was called? I think. Um, yes. Yeah. Where where there was this soap opera that kind of poked fun at a soap opera while he was doing kind of a soap opera, and I was like, are these scenes in the bar in the in the Bang Bang Club at the end? Are they supposed to? Are they poking fun at like other dramas on TV where people sit around and talk about this character oh, and that character and yeah? Or are all these scenes that are happening in the booths part of Audrey's distorted world? You know, because I mean, ultimately her story concludes there or well, right. You know, that was the other thing is that, Mm -hmm. you know, Audrey's obviously somewhere else. She's in a white room, which is either, you know, you you presume it's a a institution of some kind or something. And so you're wondering, are all is all this conversation in her mind? Is this Audrey's dream? Is she the dreamer of those stories? Mm hmm. Or does she because, find find herself in the inside of her own Jeffrey's machine? Because just, she, yeah, yeah, <laughs> because Ooh. she's obviously, you know, there's the resolution to her story is she's in a white room looking at herself in a mirror and and realizing that something's not right. She's her story yeah. is either in her mind or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's one of those loose ends that are going to be part of the list. <laughs> of things right yeah. i mean i was thinking about too all the characters we met you know like steven who kills himself at the tree yeah Beck, becky's story really goes nowhere Mm-mm. um uh the red the story with red really goes nowhere right um but then i was re-watching the scene with red and uh uh richard horn mm-hmm. and 
and I realized what I think what Lynch is trying to show us there is that, you know, Twin Peaks is still what it was 30, 25 years ago. There's still people running drugs. There's still bad guys. There's still evil guys. Just the normal everyday bad guys like Red okay. and Richard Horn. So that's, who, you that's, know, that's just part of the uh, the, the background that we've, we've become accustomed to. Right. Red is a supplier. People. Richard right. is the dealer. Chad is also a dealer. Steven is an addict. Bobby is a cop looking for drug dealers. Renault is still running whores and drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, Twin Peaks is still that town where it seems like it's the perfect little small town, but underneath <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, which is a common theme with Lynch. You know, the everything is uh, ideal and bucolic on the outside, but you've got that, that dark ass underbelly. You know, yeah. You, you you look into the grass and you see the worms. <laughs> yeah, you know? That's, I also wrote. Here's another long paragraph. Oh, <laughs> the whole shtick of Twin Peaks <laughs> is two things: mm-hmm. the overwhelming goodness and sweetness of people, and the overwhelming evil in the hearts of other people. It's yeah. personified in the two Coopers. In the encompassing and encompassing this dichotomy is the world, also a dream world. It's the dream of existence. We live in a dream and the mystery of that dream. Um, but who is the dreamer? It's personified in the forest, the beauty of nature and its unfathomable darkness under the rotting leaves and under the rotting tree barks in the dank earth where the moss grows. Wow, that that's actually a very beautiful paragraph. Oh, oh my God, thanks, man. man, you're a good writer. Oh, thank you. Well, it's just, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, you know, Lynch just, that's what makes this show so great. I was so, I really literally was like, God damn it, Lynch, there's 15 minutes left to tie this all up. <laughs> what, what the fuck can you possibly do in 15 minutes that's uh-huh. gonna, that's gonna resolve everything and, and be, and end us at a point where we're, you know, that, because you've been leading up to, to mm-hmm. this for, you know, 25 years. Yeah. And then when it ends where it ends, which still gives me goosebumps every time I watch it. Yeah. You're, you're, you're just like, you know, it doesn't have to have a resolution, even though it does, because the resolution we can decide for ourselves if we think mm-hmm. Cooper's the dreamer, Laura's the dreamer, Audrey's the dreamer. Uh, you know, we that's what's great about it is, and, and he'll never tell us, of course. No, because, he won't. You know. He may not even know himself, but uh, yeah, I mean, but that's that's the beautiful gift that he's given us. I mean, he's going to be um, living in our brains for years to come. Us thinking about this and yeah, what it all like, means, you know, it it's slowly we're formulating our own ideas and and theories of what the hell really is going on. But you know, I don't think ultimately there is no one true answer. It's, there isn't. No. Yeah, you can decide for yourself. That's why I also not to keep reading shit I wrote, but I wrote a lot no. of shit. No, that's I good. Wrote, <laughs> we get it out, man. Get it out. Yeah, I got to get it out. Okay. I wrote, the ending to this one is even more amazing and bone chilling and deep and strange and unfathomable than How's Annie. I don't care how messy oh, yeah. it is. I don't care how many loose ends there are. I don't care how many red herrings there are. I don't care how infuriated I get with the pace and the long scenes. I want mm-hmm. more. I want more. I want more. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, you, you remember right after I watched, um, uh, finished watching episode 18, uh, I think I texted you right after that and I said, uh, I can't wait till the final dossier comes out or something like that. It, not because it's necessarily going to tell us anything more. It's just, you know, like you said, you just want more of that. Yeah. 
of the, yeah. of the well, same. What is it going to tell us? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I need to read the I need to get to reading the um, the first one. Yeah. So I can so I can uh, have time to read the second one. So absolutely. I guess, you know, the, the, the secret history of Twin Peaks gives you some interesting background information. But, you know, that's that's about it. Um, right. Yeah. It's yeah. just it would be gr- it would be far greater if there was no series, because then you you're getting the what happened to Josie, what happened to these people who we, these characters we care about. Mm-hmm. And it's a great compendium to to the TV show, because, yeah, things like Josie's story is not even mentioned in the tv show um that's that's true we would never know that you know she was actually not an orphan that was brought over to this country she was actually the the daughter of a of a big chinese crime lord or something so right yeah yeah. it's just interesting she's dead and then yeah right and she's she's kind of playing a lot of people without them necessarily knowing but it comes back to to haunt her later obviously right yeah. including pay- playing Harry Truman. And it seems like uh, someone helped Harry Truman figure that out eventually. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, all, all right. right. Uh, do you want to jump into our book of lists? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think we can do that and then wrap it up, don't you? I think so. I think so. Um, you know, that's not to say that we may not talk more about things on uh, other episodes. It just won't be uh, other episodes of A Slippery Slope will not be completely engulfed by Twin Peaks, but I'm sure we will still have sections of uh, upcoming shows that we're still talking about things. Absolutely. Of course, the fall season is fixing to start on TV, and there's yep. a bunch of new shows that I want to watch and talk about. So, right. um, And we've got a trip to San Francisco and Northern oh. California coming up that, that we'll be talking about. So right. it'll be good to get back to, to not being so focused on one thing where we can talk about a few other things but although i have loved every second of talking about twin peaks on the show ah me too me too um let's get to our list then okay yeah i sent mark a text a couple days ago after the finale and i just came up with kind of six questions because i'm a list person um and i was like let's each answer these questions and then we'll talk about our answers together on the next uh, podcast And, and mark was nice enough to agree to do that Absolutely. I mean, I thought it was a great idea, and I know you're a big list guy, so I yeah. I would be remiss if I did not um, uh, agree to be uh, become part of this. So cool. Yeah. So uh, you had you had created six different questions yeah. about uh, um, the first one being who is your favorite yeah. character that was in the original uh, show twenty five years ago that was also in this season of Twin Peaks. Right, and uh, I thought long and hard about that, and, you know, I came up with a few, but I think I definitely have to go with Albert Rosen. Oh, wow! Played See, by... This is why I wanted to do this. I knew your answers would be different from mine and interesting. I mean, I love Miguel Ferrar in, in this show and in, you know, the previous uh, seasons, you know, uh, the original series. Yeah. Uh, his, you know, he's he's kind of a sphinx. At you know, in the original series, at first you don't quite know what to think of. You think he's just some kind of a of an asshole, but then you discover that he's really a very deep and caring and and loving individual um, with a, a very rough exterior. And of course, and then Twin Peaks: The Return. I mean, he's still a loving and caring in person, but he still has these very biting. Hard wisecracks and 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 funny things to say. Um, 
So, yeah, yeah I, I love Albert Rosen. Well, I loved him in the original. I remember he was the one of the highlights of the original series. And when I would watch the original one with my mom and we just thought he was great yes. and hilarious and funny mm-hmm. in this in this season. My, one of my favorite lines was when they're they're walking. It's the the coroner and I think agent, not agent, but a uh, officer Mackley, detective Mackley uh-huh. and, and, and they're walking to, to look at, um, Briggs's body and w- Mackley is telling him about William Hastings and this happened and that happened and that happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Albert goes, what happens in season two, which I thought was <laughs> fucking hilarious, you know, just right. perfectly Albert, but also a kind of an in-joke about the, the show and just mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah, okay. Good point. That's a good quote. Yeah. All right. Well, um, my, mine, of course, was, I. well, I. you know, it, 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 there are lots, and it was really hard to pick one, but when all was mm-hmm. said and done, the, the one that came to my mind that stuck was the log lady. I love the log lady. She's yeah. so great. And and what happens with the log lady in this season was magical and poetic and beautiful and sad and yeah. just just those moments when the log lady is talking to Hawk on the phone are so full of emotion and poetry and magic. Ah, I loved every time she would come on the screen. Yeah, I I agree. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I almost picked her, but I, I figured, Oh, you know, Lodger's going to pick her. And uh, (laughs) I, I don't want to duplicate the effort of, of praising, um, Catherine Coulson playing the log lady. And what's interesting is both those, the actors who played those characters are no longer with us. And, yeah, that's uh, true. And that I if think what- maybe that that kind of puts a special plate puts them in a special place in our hearts. Um, for Absolutely. That yeah. If there was a season four, they 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 couldn't be in it in anything but flashbacks. So, uh, yeah, right. Those were those were magical, defining, and triumphant last characters played by those two actors. Definitely. And uh, at first, I was going to choose um, Deputy Chief Hawk, uh, mm. played by Michael Horse, you know, because he has, he's the one who has the most interaction with uh, the log lady in, uh, you know, this season. And uh, I don't know, there's just something about uh, the character of Hawk. He seems to be, you know, kind of the the anchor of the, the people who live in Twin Peaks and you know he's kind of a you know he's you know exactly what you're getting with Hawk you know he's he's strong and true and uh, the best friend you could have uh when things are down he's he's kind of a mystical type character yeah. in the story he's really in tune with what the log lady is telling him mm-hmm, um, yeah you know. yeah i i like that he's both smart and and pragmatic and practical and at the same time believes in things that I, I know are stereotypically Native American things like magic and mysticism but he, yeah. he that's what makes that character uh, great is that he's both of those things mm-hmm. um, you know he's true to his heritage and he's true to his mind yeah yeah that's true yeah yeah and of course I almost put Cooper because Seeing Dale Cooper again, well, you know, it's what we've wanted for 25 years to see Dale Cooper in action again. And, and we do get that in this series mm-hmm. eventually. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I even put I even I haven't like at my third or fourth place. I even put Sarah Palmer in there just because of the, the amazing performance that Grace Zabriskie put up this season. 
Yes. You know, she got to do some things well outside the, you know, what the original Sarah Palmer did. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, she did a great job. And I part of me wishes she'd had a little bit more to do again when all is said and done what her character is about is really interesting but when you're watching it the first time round, mm-hmm. you're like what the fuck's going on? what does this mean <laughs> right yes of course you know the whole thing where she kills the guy in the bar yeah is it's really not that important of a scene except that it is you mm-hmm. know <laughs> you know yeah yeah it's that that inner struggle between you know the real Sarah Palmer and whatever the fuck's inside of her. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah because there, she has every right to be a bitter old hag. <laughs> you know, her life has been fucked over. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah. No doubt. As far as we know, that's not really Sarah Palmer. It's just, I don't, right. yeah. You know. Sarah Palmer is in one of the Jeffries slippery kettles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one of those steaming kettles yep uh, indeed <laughs> all right question two all right favorite new character who wasn't in the original series but is in this season um god there there, there are many but it would have to be it have to be the doppelganger <laughs> well I guess, in a way, the doppelganger was in the original series in the last episode. So, yes, technically, but, that's not well. But not I mean, we, certainly, uh-huh. I, except I mean, you know, if I was the judge, I'd be all right. That's an acceptable answer. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, first of all, such such an evil character, but so well played by Kyle McLaughlin. Oh my god! Yeah, he's amazing in wow. this. Wow, he just I, showed, he showed his range so incredibly uh, yes i mean <laughs> just wait he's gonna be playing heavies for the rest of his career now i yeah i don't know <laughs> you know i i if he doesn't win an emmy or at least get nominated i, I don't know if there's any justice in the world he yeah. he you know he took every character that he played and made it something unique oh, yeah. and like i said even when even when i was watching re-watching the <clears throat> scenes with dougie which I hated the first time around. Uh-huh. I I actually found a little bit of simplistic joy in watching some of them the second time. Once Aww. I knew what it was, which I you know, once I, I knew that we were really going to get Cooper eventually, okay. it was much easier to watch those scenes. All right, I I see. It was the, it was like the Tom Petty song. The waiting is the hardest part, but once exactly. you got yeah. your payoff, you could go back and appreciate that. Yes, this, yes, the yeah, Dougie yeah. scenes. Okay, so all right, I get it. I you know I was I I fully knew that at some point in time Cooper was gonna wake up. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ride out this you know this these this Dougie scenario and until the payoff. So let, I'll just lay back and enjoy it. <laughs> right. I think my impatience was with you know. I knew we were going to get uh, Cooper eventually too, but I was like, Jesus Christ, what a waste if it's episode 17, 16 before that happens. But, you know, uh, still, once it happened, the payoff was so great right. that it made the wait worth it. I'm just an impatient, immediate, instant gratification kind of a guy. I and, uh, yeah. Um, so, so that's right. what it, yeah. All right. I'll tell you my second, third, and fourth place. Okay. Um, uh, Freddie Sykes. You know the green garden glove guy, mm-hmm. uh, Bushnell Mullins, uh, for some weird reason, and uh, Tammy Preston. 
Ah, interesting. Yeah, but uh, I, none can compare, though, to the, the amazing uh, doppelganger. Well, I picked Freddie Sykes. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I just loved the, sto- the, the thing with him and James sitting on the loading dock talking mm-hmm. and him telling his story. I just thought that was really well done. It's an amazing soliloquy, and he does it perfectly. Yeah. And you, you just, you know, you root for him, and you know he's going to be the hero and there's mm-hmm. it's like why why is this character the hero he's not he's not even from the original show or anything you know he's he's just <laughs> this random young guy um but yeah. i just i just it was really char i thought it was kind of charming and interesting and the story's so cool and i don't know i you know i i, I just when i thought about who did i really like in the new season that was the first one that came to my mind right well if you think about it you know the green garden glove was a gift from the fireman. So really, right. it was a battle between, you know, the fireman and Bob, or, you know, the White Lodge versus the Black Lodge. Right, yeah, the, the ultimate the, good mm-hmm. versus the ultimate evil. Right, yeah. so, you know. it God, God yeah. versus the devil. Uh, yes, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh, good point. Okay, all right, so you picked Freddie Sykes. Were there anybody? Yeah, okay, were there any others that were a close second or third? Nope. Okay, that was it. <laughs> New characters, awesome. All right, good. Okay. All right. All right. Best uh, or favorite scene? Yeah. Is the next one? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, shit. It's got to be Cooper wakes up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was that. I have three actually, but that didn't. I have make... another one. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, my number one was uh, when Andy gets his moment. <laughs> that was my, that was my next one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I loved Absolutely. that. Yeah, you know, we've waited so long, and and I I like too when I thought about it when we were recording this podcast about Lucy getting her redemption, and the and the fact that because Lucy is so kind of dumb mm-hmm. that it makes per, it makes perfect lo- well not perfect logical sense but it makes pretty good sense that the doppelganger wouldn't see her coming because he probably can't figure out what she's going to do next. No one can. Right, um, right. So when she shoots him and he's surprised by that, it, it, that just kind of makes sense. But yeah, I mean, so at, yeah, Lucy, Lucy's kind of a stealth uh, character in a way. I think she was a stealth character in the previous seasons, you know, where she surprises you with her her um, level headedness at particular points in time. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I, you know, that's what I like about those two characters. Although I thought the thing with where Andy goes to the to the fireman's place mm. and and then comes back and he's all of a sudden heads not headstrong, but he's all of a sudden very assured and confident. And knows exactly what to do. I just, that was like, like I was saying when we talked about it on the podcast, that was like, we waited 25 years for that moment. Right. Lynch built that moment up for 25 fucking years, Lynch and Harry Goaz, and <laughs> yes. in, in order to deliver that scene. And it's magic when it yeah. happens, you know? Yeah. I did write a note on here that says, yeah, Andy goes to the White Lodge and becomes a hero. Yeah. I yeah I had Andy gets his moment number one closely behind that I am the FBI and oh, and closely yeah. <laughs> which is kind of Cooper wakes up well that and, whole, uh, yeah that whole damn scene from when he wakes up to the end of that scene yeah it's, it's yeah amazing right and then close third was the last scene the last scene is just so special I uh, you know so oh. 
bone chilling, yeah. goose bumpy, tingling, wow, Bob, wow, what the fuck happened? Right. You know, the whole scene from when he knocks on the Palmer door and to where, yeah, when everything goes black. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's especially yeah. that. Boy, when he says, what year is this? That just blew my mind, man. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> I don't know that there'll ever be anything as goosebump inducing as that was for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just I was like, because I literally was. How the fuck are they going to end this? That's going to make you know, that's going to uh, be good. It's going to make me love it, you know, mm-hmm. and and we're down to seconds. There's there's. Two minutes left, Lynch. How the <laughs> fuck? And then yeah. Coop says, what year is this? And you're mm-hmm. like, what fucking year is this? <laughs> uh, right. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good stuff. So, all right. Oh, Next yeah. one would be right on the other end of the spectrum. Yes. Your least favorite scene. Oh, man. Well, that's uh, that's pretty easy. The <laughs> the. Truman, Andy, Lucy, and Marlon Brando Brennan scene. <laughs> That's mine too, baby. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, Michael Sarah as Wally Brando. Oh. oh, what a waste of time. I've, heard, I've read so many things online about people with these things about why it's great, and I'm just like, oh, it's not great. <laughs> right. Well, uh, when when I first saw it, I was slightly amused by it. But then when I was thinking about it, I was, you know, because I was assuming maybe that character would continue, you know, in the series. Yeah. But, but then it was like that was just a one-off, and it's like that was completely throwaway. What the fuck? Yeah. What you know? And yeah, there's these theories on online that it's Lynch saying something about how modern kids ad- adapt old movies as as their own cool thing or all yeah. this bullshit that i was like oh no that's not what that's about it's about nothing well um, you know i mean you could say that maybe it did tie up a loose end about whose child it was and it was actually dick tremaine's baby because he drew up grew up to be just as history <laughs> histrionic or whatever you know putting on airs as his father did right yeah well that's true that's an interesting point Maybe, yeah. I also, someone mentioned that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Marlon Brando lived for a long time with Wally Cox, and there are rumors that they were lovers. Whoa. And that Uh his first name is Wally, Wally Brando. And I was like, oh, that's kind of, that's more interesting than the character or anything he says. (laughs) Right. Okay. Oh, sorry. A few minutes ago, I called him Marlon Brando Brennan. Okay. (laughs) But it is Wally Brando. That's right. Yeah. Wally Brando. Yes. Yeah, I was, and I think too, I was so hyped up when I read in the in the um, credits. You know, they released the list of the cast two or three months before the show aired, Uh and Michael Sarah was listed as someone in the cast. And I thought, you know, my mind reeled with all the things he could do with Lynch. How amazing he could be as a kind of a you know, almost like the Richard, like a Richard Horn, but Mm -hmm. not as evil. You know, like a dumb kind of. Weird guy that lives in Twin Peaks, like a little log lady, even. Um, <laughs> you know, he could be such an interesting, quirky character in the Twin Peaks universe. And what we got was so disappointing. Yeah. Well, you know, suppose that they had originally thought that he could play the part of Freddie Sykes, but then that somehow fell through or what? I don't know. Just a yeah. guess, you know. 
They're kind of yeah, I mean, well, they kind of look so. similar to each other. That's interesting. Mm. That is interesting. Maybe he did read for Lynch, and Lynch was like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna have to have him do something else." Right. <laughs> but you, yeah, you just never know. Yeah, you do never know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, of course. You know, my second place would be um, uh, the meaningless death of Richard Horn as one <laughs> yeah. of the dumbest scenes and. All of the Audrey scenes except the last. <laughs> yeah, those were all up there too, but nothing nothing could notch down Michael Sarah's performance <laughs> and character. Yeah, was, I, I didn't even have bad. to think about. Uh, I I think that's why one of the one of the the last one we'll do here is the most frustrating loose end because I was like, okay, I I, I can do that and least favorite scene and talk about two different things, right? <laughs> I think I think, uh, but your number five on the list would be the uh, what your favorite musical segment. You're right. Mm-hmm. Was number five. Um, yep. I, I first I was going through and li- re-listening to all of the different bands at the end of the shows, and then I was like, oh shit, what am I thinking about? My favorite has to be the Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima. Ah, Pendrecki. What an amazing yeah. sequence. I mean, that could even. That song paired with that whole atom bomb sequence could could be up there with one of the favorite scenes also. Um, really? You yeah. liked it that much? Well, I don't know. I, that's why I didn't pick it. I But it, it was amazing because you don't see shit like that on television. Oh, my God. Well, you don't. That's true. I. But anyway. I, I mu- think that scene mm-hmm. still frustrates me. It's so long and it really only tells you one thing that, that evil was born supposedly with the atom bomb or whatever right or hydrogen bomb i can never remember which one it is or if they're the same thing even no yeah it'd be the the atom the the atom bomb the the uh, the fusion bomb yeah yes yeah I, that is although i will say yes you're right i didn't and i didn't even think about that one um uh, it, that was done really well and the, that music is perfect for that scene mm-hmm. um but i went with uh it's the end of episode two, Shadows by the Chromatics. It's the first time we see a band play at the Bang Bang. That song is fucking amazing and just sa- sounds good. Yeah. And it kind of set up the whole um, last segment at the Bang Bang Club kind of arc that continued throughout the show. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I buy that. I like the chromatics. I, they, they have an amazing sound. Um, I had some very, other, yeah, yeah, perfect for Lynch. Oh, but, oh, you know what? M- my mistake, my actual favorite one was James Hurley doing Just You. <laughs> There's a reason. I was like, okay, I don't want to get into down, downing the show too much. Uh, so I didn't pick a lot of uh, <laughs> least favorite uh, you know, I was going to do best actor and worst actor, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of sucky to 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 down someone for their acting, and and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I, but yeah, no, least I would, favorite musical <laughs> moment, I would have to go with that one too, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, but uh, I, I liked, uh, I also liked the cactus blossom segment. Uh, they did a song called Mississippi, and then mm-hmm. Au Revoir Simone, which was right after the girl was talking about. You hear about that? penguin and yeah yeah and then yeah simone saying i think a violent yet flammable world i just love the title of that song (laughs) (laughs) yeah anyway there were lots of good ones and a couple bad ones yes well you know well well, the one with uh uh, what's the guy's name eddie vetter Uh, eddie vetter yeah that one was probably the least favorite yeah mine too i think that although just you is 
is one, you know, but at least it was a callback to the original show. Um, yeah. And I don't I don't like um, Nine Inch Nails at all, but they fit in the show. Mm-hmm. You know, that song makes sense in the show and, and their performance and how they look. And, you know, that all makes sense in the show. Eddie Vedder, I don't I don't get how that makes any sense in the show. Mm, yeah. Uh, of course, you have to remember that was part of uh, Audrey's delusion. Oh, that's true. That's an interesting point. So, was, of course, yeah, that was when as she lame and... as those scenes were, it makes sense that the musical performance was lame. Right. That, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. So, again, Lynch is a fucking genius, man. I, I believe he is. After seeing this, <laughs> I, I'm certain of it. Yeah. I mean... I'll tell you what sold me on the genius of Lynch was tonight when we talked about the phone call in the scene in Carrie's house. That just that just put it over the top for me. Mm. It's such a simple thing. But Mm -hmm. to have the phone ring and it be an old style phone from the time frame that seems to be when that was supposed to be happening early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Because all you really think about is why doesn't some you know why doesn't she answer the fucking phone or even seem to notice that it's ringing? And that's not <laughs> why it's ringing. Although it does add tension to the scene, it does. Why, why it's ringing is so you know this is not 2017 because mm-hmm. no, but very few people have landlines that ring like that anymore. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> anyway, my, my mom does. <laughs> right, I know a few people do, but even so, right. it rang like a like a. I believe it rang kind of like an old school bell ring. I believe it did, and yeah, and there was no answering machine attached at all either. That's true too. What mm-hmm. year is this? I know. Um. Well, one thing though, I mean, uh, Carrie slash uh, Laura didn't seem to be amazed or freaked out by the modernness of Cooper's car. Of course, you know, but. You know, looking at that car, uh, you know, we didn't really ever get a great look at it to really know because it's like a a standard black sedan. It could be 2017 or it could be, you know, 1996. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it could have just been a few years in the past um, to where and it may just been a very stripped down model of vehicle that he was driving you know not a lot of fancy extras like bluetooth or you know right like an fbi guy's car yeah exactly you know that's it company car it's not gonna have all the bells and whistles nope okay cool all right our last category was most frustrating loose end or red herring okay yes all right um i put at the top of my list and it's a callback kind of to uh fire walk with me whatever happened to chet desmond how come there is no closure on that right yeah he's barely mentioned right interesting that didn't make my top three okay well you know i i don't know that that's an interesting one though right okay um where the hell was audrey yeah audrey Uh, horn was number one on my list okay what what the and i still think you know, if we if if we think, OK, this show is really is this is this um, Laura's dream or is this Cooper's dream? Mm-hmm. The scenes with Audrey could certainly be Audrey's dream. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And she's obviously crazy. <laughs> yeah, seems to be the case. But fucking uh, the doppelganger and having his kid could drive you crazy. So, <laughs> well, that's true. And a, a smaller, a smaller loose end. Whatever happened to Red? Uh, right. You know, nothing apparently. <laughs> right. Right. Like, like you said earlier, he was just kind of a a local town hood that Shelley was attracted to. Right. As she yeah, always that, was. You know. On that same 
uh, kind of thread, my my second one was Stephen and Becky. I mean, you, there's resolution that he kills himself, but we really don't know for sure that he did. And yeah. we see Becky one time after that where she's going to go to the double R and get ice cream, or maybe it's even before that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, what what did any of that mean? I, unless, like I said, it's just that they're fucked up drug addicts. Yeah, because drugs are still a big thing in Twin Peaks and modern American towns, even small towns like Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. Drugs fuck people up all the time. Yeah. Okay. Any other loose ends that uh, you remember was you said the top of your list was where the hell is Audrey right now? Yeah. Or what happened Um, to her? The only other one I had on here that I I still haven't put it together and maybe there's an answer to this. Why is uh, Janie E and Dougie's ring in Major Briggs's stomach? <laughs> uh yeah how, how, that's a good because, question yeah how did it end up there right why is it there um it does help tie everything together and i guess dougie is a is has been grown from a seed mm-hmm. but but cooper had to give major uh, yeah i just <laughs> I you, you've just stymied me here <laughs> yeah my I mind is reeling about- what the hell i can't yeah. yeah, I I don't get why it's there, and maybe if anybody has a theory, then you can please post it on our Facebook page or tweet it at our Twitter or tweet it at my Twitter. Why don't you? <laughs> well, was Major Briggs? Huh, I don't know. Did he maybe somehow go visit Dougie at one time and took the ring? But that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, why would he swallow the then, ring? Or why? And then right before he was killed to hide the clue from i don't know i don't know i really don't know yeah yeah i can't figure that one out i mean major briggs is in the is in he's i don't even know exactly where he is he's not uh, he's not with cooper but he's in he was he's hiding and hibernating somewhere right but his bot his body well i don't know they never found his head now we know ruth davenport's body was found at that place in was it in South Dakota next to that industrial park where the vortex was? Right. That uh, Gordon looked up into? Um, yeah, in Buckhorn. Yeah. Was, okay, then that made me think, if if the woodsman took Dougie's ring because they didn't want Cooper to take Dougie's place, they needed his ring for something, but then they hid it in, in Major Briggs's stomach. <laughs> I don't so know. So that... Uh, so that a, so that Cooper couldn't take over Dougie's body. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. That one. Hmm. We might have to think on that for a little, little bit right. longer. I mean, it somehow links Dougie to Cooper, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's no reason <laughs> for it. Yeah, yeah, other than to link Dougie to Cooper somehow. Mm-hmm. To bring. Anyway, okay. <laughs> okay. Now that we've confused ourselves. All right, any more loose ends? Those are the only ones I had. Yeah, me too. Um, um, there was a lot of things rewatching it that I that I thought thought about, like, okay, what do these things mean? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of them was Beverly and her husband. People still have normal problems. Okay, you know, people still die. There's some stuff about politics in there and modern society. The kid with the gun in the van. You know, yeah. he's dressed. He's dressed like a kind of a uh, 
conservative person's yeah. kid might be dressed. They're both wearing fatigues, I think, or yeah. camouflage him and the dad. Right. Um, they both have that fuck you attitude. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm trying not to be too political about it, but you know what I'm thinking. Right. Um, <laughs> we know who the dad voted for. Yes, um, of course. Dr. Amp keeps talking about how the world is getting worse and how the government's corrupt. Mm-hmm. Even the log lady says the world is getting darker. Oh, another one I just don't get is um, uh, the lady in the car with the sick kid that's honking the horn. Right. And then the kid is just spewing crap. It's like I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I guess all those things were just trying to show us that the world is getting darker. Things are boiling to a head in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a Evil's moment there, about to take over. Right with that zombie-looking kid in the car with the lady who was honking her horn. Uh, you know, for a minute there, I thought it was just a a a, a fuck fuck you to the Walking Dead. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think all of those things were just trying to show us that, and and maybe this is part of it that Cooper's <clears throat> Cooper's in the Black Lodge and still struggling to get out, and the world just keeps getting darker and more fucked up and horrible mm. and evil. Mm-hmm. Evil keeps winning. You know, um, I was also thinking like on Hawk's map, he talks about when the when the corn is black, that means death and and you know bad times and. I guess that's what he was trying to show that the world was just kept getting eviler and eviler from the time that that uh, Laura was killed because she represents goodness and light. Okay, so even though she was a whore and a drug addict, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right. Here, here's a last. Here's a last bit of a question. Okay. Where Where do you think that doppelganger? What What do you think he was trying to achieve? By getting the coordinates. The coordinates take him to the entrance to the giant's, you know, white lodge, for lack of a better term, right? What right. Was, what I, was he yeah. trying to accomplish by going there? Well, I, that's a good question. He's either trying to keep, get Coop, somehow trap Cooper there forever. Again, while he's in the world, evil keeps getting worse, like mm-hmm. we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. So he's either trying to to kill or keep Cooper there forever so he can so the evil in the world can continue. I think if you think of the Black Lodge as and and evil Coop as the devil and the fireman uh, as God not God but goodness, then it's a struggle between good and evil and 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 how could the devil stop goodness unless he went to heaven and killed God. goodness. God, like, yeah. Maybe get up there and and kill the fireman. Yeah, possibly. Is that his you know? intention? Be- yeah. Because the the fireman's the one who sets it up so that Bob dies, so that Bob is destroyed. Yeah, exactly. The fireman is is definitely the representation of of all goodness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny that he's in a black and white room instead of a lot more white light, but. You yeah, know, Lynch is not that typical, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean it's it's whiteness in the sense of of purity, not necessarily of color. Um, yes, so, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, but obviously the the firemen saw through what you know doppelganger was trying to do and trapped him. Yes, which yeah. ultimately led to his um, ultimate demise. So. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe with the coordinates too, he could destroy heaven from without going there you know if he had the coordinates he would know how to where mm-hmm. to aim the whatever he was going to aim to destroy heaven yeah where well. to send bob or 
mm-hmm. or hmm. something. Because Bob's inside him, so he's really Bob. Yes, so yes, of course. The, it's the devil, pure evil, looking to destroy pure goodness. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Fascinating. Interesting, shit. though, because I didn't think about that, but that's that's a good point. That's why that seems to be... Right, in my mind, that's that, why Coop, that's why yeah. Doppelganger's doing that. Yeah, his whole his whole goal throughout the entire season was, you know, to get those coordinates and do something. Yeah, and so yeah, and so <clears throat> even though evil is destroyed when Bob is destroyed by Freddy mm-hmm. Cooper, does evil win? Because Cooper seems to be stuck in an infinite loop where he still can't save Laura. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, or maybe I don't know. Maybe. Uh, Maybe time stops when, you know, evil is destroyed because you need to have the the balancing factors of good and evil. I don't know, man. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to be thinking about this shit for months and months to try to make full sense of it, if that's even possible. Yeah, I don't know if that's even possible. And and again, why why Lynch is so brilliant, you know, Mm -hmm. I think. Uh, you know, some people were upset not, and not happy with the fact that at season two it ends with Coop being uh, possessed by Bob and and saying, "Where? How's Annie? How's Annie?" Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that ending to the show. I thought, you know, that it ended it. You know, even though there was no resolution to that, it 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 was a great ending for for the show, uh, and I was perfectly happy with that. Um, I, th- I think- and that's. Mm-hmm. I think at the time I was disappointed that it didn't, you know, conclude well. Um, but over the years, I'm like, wow, that was brilliant. I mean, it leaves it so wide open. And well, here we are t- 25 years later, and we had this amazing, uh, you know, third season. Or Yeah, re- revisit, yeah. for lack of a better. Yeah, because oh, exactly. to me, it's like that show, after two seasons, did have a resolution. It started with Who Killed Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. We found out Who Killed Laura Palmer was really pure evil embodied by Bob, who had possessed her father. Yeah. And and that pure evil left her father when her father died and possessed Cooper. So pure evil had killed her. We knew who killed her. It wasn't her dad. It was pure evil or the devil or whatever you want to call it. True. Um. And it was, and the devil was still around, and it was in Cooper, one of the one of the goodest. You know, that's the wrong word, but you know, one of the <laughs> goodest people, the best people, the mm-hmm. you know, the uh, in the in the universe that we were in, anyway. Right, definitely the personification of goodness. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. All right, man. Boy, we better. It's it's already late. We started late, and a little we're bit. At three, wow. A little, over three hours so damn okay that's right okay that's um, amazing i love talking about it it's amazing thank you thank you i think we'll be continue to talk about it off and on for a long time i think so too okay we're we're at about three hours and 15 minutes here so uh why don't we just go ahead and say slide in next week for another fabulous episode of a slippery slope is it future or is it past? <laughs> I love that. I love man when I watch that you know, when the when the one armed man says that. Mm-hmm. You know when when we go back when Cooper goes through the door with the key yeah and you get 
point where he's in the red room again and the guy says the future is a past and you're like okay he's asked that before but now it really means a lot yeah though we don't necessarily 100 percent know what it means but it definitely has more way more significance yes and further punctuated with what year is this yeah Uh, that will haunt i mean that's just one of those things that will give me chills mm -hmm. for the rest of my life man (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) truly special oh yeah worth (sighs) worth every second we spent watching it Absolutely. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure I'll rewatch a few times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I've rewatched the end now like four times, and every time, wow, it okay. feels. You know, there's also a thing I was sorry not to keep talking. That's all right. Right before Cooper says, "What year is this?" Mm-hmm. He looks down at the ground like he's seeing something there. He kind of looks down and almost points downward, like at the curb. Yeah. I. Which yeah. I don't. I, I said that he it almost looked like he was kind of staggering forward, looking down, trying to, I don't know, understand or or remember something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah like he's saying, wait a minute here. In fact, I thought for a minute, I was watching it the second time, and I thought he said, wait a minute, what year is this? But he doesn't say, wait a minute. He just kind of implies it with that. Mm-hmm. With his kind bo- of gesture, his body language, yeah, yeah, kind of that. Uh-huh. And it's like, uh, yeah, I. But I, you know, just like everything else, you're like, what's he looking at, man? What's he see there that makes him think that? Right. Oh, <laughs> one more thing that I was that I, I was thinking about. Suppose you know, after uh, Carrie slash Laura hears uh, someone calling her name, it sounds like Sarah's voice. You know, at the very end. Right, right. Befo- right before she screams. What if right at that moment she's waking up? And she, Laura? Yeah, Laura is waking up right at that minute as she screams. Uh, and it's really her mother downstairs calling her for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, you know, when I, the first time I watched it, I, I heard a noise and then she screams mm-hmm. and... Because I, the first time I watch it, I try and watch it without the closed captioning on because I, uh, it's distracting. Right. And so it wasn't until the second time I watched it mm-hmm. that I had the closed captioning on, and I, I saw, oh, what she hears is someone in the house say Laura, uh-huh. and and that's what causes her to scream. And I was like, oh, right. I mean, that changes everything, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah I, I w- you know. Yeah, the second viewing, I I was watching it on my computer with my headphones on, so I heard, yeah, everything. I was like, oh, whoa. Yeah. Is that in her mind? Is that evoking a memory, or Uh, is she slipping into another timeline, or, you know, yeah, what's going on there, man? Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well. We, we, we've got our after show. Yeah, I guess so, yes. <laughs> She's dead. Wrapped in plastic. just after dawn. Now she was with you last night and you weren't where you were supposed to be this morning. Have these fellows advised you of your rights? 
Yes, but I didn't know why. I was dead. Yes. Did you understand your rights as they were explained to
I am dismissing all classes for the day, but before we leave, I would like to ask each of you to join me.